0: Hey, this is Eric from Long Island. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
1: horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies we have a weekly show that's released every friday and this is episode fifty-eight five eight on horror movie podcast you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies and i'm your host jay of the dead podcasting from salt lake city and my co-hosts tonight are
2: (laughs) <laughs>
0: Wolfman Josh in Cartagena, Colombia. How's it going, Jay?
1: It's good, Josh. Welcome.
3: Still alive. Alive inside.
1: I'm glad you're here. <laughs>
3: and this is Dr. Walking Dead, once again from my basement in luxurious Cedar City, Utah.
1: Yes. Welcome to you too. So we're still legitimate, Josh, even though, you know, the other doctor, Dr. Shock, isn't able to be here tonight, but we still have one doctor here so we can still practice horror podcasting. (laughs) That's
0: good. We won't lose our license over
1: this. (laughs) That's right. I'm glad about that. So yeah, we'll miss Dr. Shock. He's going to be doing some vacationing or something, and he's got to spend all of his free time getting his blog ready for that. So real quick horror news, and I wanted to especially... Talk to you guys about this because you're two of the people that would be most excited about this. I'm sure everybody in the world has heard, but Variety reports that Halloween Returns is going to resurrect Michael Myers with a new director. Yeah, and, I
0: saw that. Yeah, Natrod sent me that news.
1: Yeah, yeah, it says uh, Dimension Films and trancus International Films are starting production on Halloween Returns in July, so next month. And it'll be so
3: awesome. is is this uh, hearkening back to the original series, or is this picking up with the new reboot?
1: Well, what what have you heard so far, Josh?
3: I, I have only read just
0: one little announcement. I haven't seen any of the details.
1: Yeah, they have, um, Kyle. They have refrained to release the log line. Even that means the, the you know they're not even giving us a, a tiny capsule of the premise or ah, anything. Ah, okay. But. Marcus Dunstan is directing from a script that he wrote with Patrick Melton and this duo, it, Variety says, they they teamed up on the scripts for the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th Saw movies. Oh, okay. Okay.
3: I like the 5th one.
1: Okay, good. Well, good. That's positive then. So, this is really good. So, um, anyways, it's all pretty secretive thus far, but... So when what do you think, Josh? If they're filming in July, we're looking at what? Like a, a 2016 summer blockbuster, probably?
0: Well, I don't know. Wouldn't you think that they're heading for Halloween? <laughs> I would hope so. I would
1: hope. But do you think they can get it all done and wrapped in post-production no. by a, Halloween? It's a
0: tight schedule, for sure. But I'm assuming they're not putting much effort into, <laughs> into it. <so. laughs>
1: mm. These make so much money. I I don't know. I, I don't think they'll get it done in time. And I bet you it'll end up being like a, one of those April blockbusters uh, in 2016.
3: Halloween 16. You're awfully uh, optimistic using the term blockbuster with a horror film.
2: <laughs>
3: That's yeah, how it's that. been
1: lately. I mean, they've they've been doing things like that. Kyle with The Conjuring. And I mean, they're starting it.
3: Yeah, but Blockbuster is waiting in line around the block, you know, repeated viewings, multi-million dollar takes, I don't know.
1: Yeah, technically, but I I always refer to things that come out in the summertime, like a summer popcorn. I mean, I think the studios are banking on those films most, right, of the year, but yes, you're right, it won't make... Jurassic World numbers, that's for sure. Who will? <laughs> yeah. Star Avatar 2? War- Star Wars. but
3: Star Wars 8? Yes.
0: So what I'm seven? seeing here is that um, Deputy Gary Hunt, who you maybe remember from the 1981 sequel, as the blonde officer who accompanies Dr. Loomis to the school on the night he came home, will appear in Halloween Returns now as the sheriff.
3: Ah, so it's original plot line. Yeah. Very good. Like. Good. I'm, I'm happy about that.
1: Okay. Well, we will be watching closely with interest to see what happens.
3: What you- what Jamie Lee's doing this summer? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, she's dead in that franchise, but I would like to see Josh Hartnett back or, uh, well, we talked about this on our Halloween coverage or that I can't remember what her name is now, but the actress from,
3: uh, Halloween resurrection, maybe make a comeback.
1: Yeah. But then, Anyone
3: can come back, Josh.
1: <laughs> and to and answer your question, Kyle, what was Jamie Lee doing this? I don't know what she's done this summer, but I know what she did last summer. So uh-huh. like, that would have been, uh-huh. been better like two minutes ago. But
3: Yeah, that's we tried Sorry. to avoid it.
1: Yeah. So, anyways, real life beastly freak attacks are happening quite a bit right now. And the thing is. <laughs> I used to be a newspaper man. I don't know if you guys know that, but I, I was. I was a crime reporter. Um, pretty interesting career. Doesn't pay anything, but it was fun. <laughs> it's like podcasting, basically. But anyway, um, I don't want to exploit these events, of course, but I like to point out that we do live in a world of true horror because many of the horror stories that come from real life, and I think it's important to acknowledge this, those those end up being films and so sometimes when i get that you know raised eyebrow from people who learn that i'm a horror fan or whatever this is one of the approaches that i take to talk to them about it because Kyle really why do we why do we have horror narratives in this world
3: they allow us to cope with the things that bug us the most they allow us to uh, to deal with our anxieties and fears in a relatively safe Artificial environment.
1: That's right. Yes. Thank you. And so, um, why do you think, though, if you're going to psychoanalyze me for a minute, why do you think I have this need to tie these things together, like, um, to to real life events? Why is that important to me as a person?
3: Uh, I think you want to, at your age, uh, (laughs) convince yourself that you're not wasting your time. (laughs) That's, that's what I do. That's
1: amazing. I love that.
3: <laughs> that is very. So you could say, no, Ma, this is relevant. Yeah. It's hey. almost like curing cancer, <laughs> it's addressing social anxiety.
1: Well, yeah. Well, now,
3: I have this conversation at work all the time because it's like. Uh, so what are you writing about? Cause you're a university professor. Uh, she <laughs> says, well, I'm doing a video game thing right now, but I got to go watch a horror movie. <laughs> no, I, you're absolutely right. Because as far as the genres of film goes film, okay, right off the bat film is kind of looked down upon by other, uh, appreciators and scholars of the arts and within the film community, horror is looked down upon by them. Yeah. So yeah, the study of horror which I think is super essential. I think horror films tell us more about ourselves than any, any other genre. But it's kind of like the uh, the bastard child of the bastard child. We're really kind of out in the cold, but it's it's super important.
1: Yes it is. And now I feel validated. So I'm gonna, I'm going to keep on going with this then. So and people out there If you want to call me exploitative, talk to Dr. Walking Dead (laughs) here. That's (laughs) right. So these reports, also, this isn't like this comes from the Inquirer, okay, everybody? This came by way of MSN, but which came by way of the Associated Press, okay? So there you have it. But here is the first one. I've even got an audio clip for um, your listening. Now, um, the other stories are a little more positive. This one was fatal
2: a dead end for this tiger in Georgia after it escaped from the zoo during last weekend's flood in Tbilisi.
1: Police officers shot the tiger after it attacked a man on Wednesday. The saga began when the flood swept through the Georgian capital, killing at least 19 people and freeing more than 30 animals from the zoo. Police scoured the streets when they heard reports of an attack at a market storage place. One local man said he was nearby when
3: it happened.
0: Four people went down to the storage to clean it up. At that moment, a wild animal, which was there, attacked the people. One of them was
1: gravely wounded. Police say they first wanted to sedate the animal, but had no choice but to kill the tiger after it attacked the man. Okay, so what happened here is you got... It's kind of like Aftershock, that movie, where you had a natural disaster, and except... Instead of having prisoners who preyed upon people, I mean, you have an, a, an instance of a zoo animal. And that was very sad. But also, like it said, to half the animals, there were like 300 animals that either drowned in the floodwaters or they were, had to be killed by police. And get this, guys, they had lions, tigers, wolves, and a hippo running around.
0: It's like night in the museum all over again.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really freaky, so... Anyway, I I could see that potentially being turned into a horror movie script, although I am very sorry for that guy. And then I'll tell you one other here real quick, and then we'll get moving. Uh, There is a real life, there has been a real life Jaws terrorizing the North Carolina beaches. Now, the good news is both of these people who have been attacked thus far have survived. So I just want people to know that. But uh, let me let me just give you this one little clip from that.
0: The first incident occurred approximately 4:40 p.m. in the vicinity of Ocean Crest Pier. Uh, it involved a young teenage girl, uh, approximately age 12, of Ashburn, North Carolina, who was here vacationing with her family. And then, approximately at 5:51, uh, uh,
4: a gentleman, 16, of Winston Salem, uh, was visiting as well. Both victims were reported to be about 20 yards offshore in waist-deep water. Both of the victims were transported by Blunt County EMS to a landing zone and airlifted to the Hanover Regional Medical Center with life-threatening injuries. As of last night, both victims were out of surgery and in stable condition.
1: So they're in stable condition and everything, but the one girl did lose her left arm. She was only 12. So, like, I mean, it's really crazy. So this shark is still down there. Now, in one of the reports, I don't want to take all night on this stuff, but one of the reports that I have here is, like, this shark expert. And it's exactly like in Jaws. He's saying, "I think we need to close the beaches." <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's like it, it's you know art and life. You know it's being repeated right here and yeah. before our eyes. So pretty crazy. That's freaking scary. So beastly
0: on freaks. The, on, the, on the topic of uh, your first story, I would just as just as a public service announcement. We talked about that movie roar on, I believe it was on movie podcast weekly. That's coming out this summer. Um, But there's also a couple of documentaries that people should check out. Um, The bringing of wild animals into one's home is becoming more and more common. People are wanting to get deadly snakes. And there are even people, believe it or not, who have lions and things like this in their home. And, uh, Escapes happen a lot, and you you were the more you know this the people are bringing them into their home, the more uh, breakouts are happening, and the more uh, these animals are hurting kids. Largely, it's snakes because someone will have some deadly snake and then let it go in the woods, and then it'll show up under someone's porch and you know kill a child or something. There's a documentary called Um, The Tiger Next Door, and another one called Elephant in the Living Room, that I'd recommend, particularly the second one, Elephant in the Living Room. Um, you can find it online. I interviewed the director of that on the documentary blog podcast way back in the day, but um, it is a pretty intense. You know, people, Someone will get a cougar cub as a baby and then realize they can't take care of it and then let it go and, in the woods in Massachusetts, and then it stalks and kills dogs and small children and things like that. So
4: Jeez. stay away from...
0: Stay away from deadly animals and wild animals. They're wild for a reason. And uh, that's just a public service announcement. A Beastly Freaks public service announcement from Horror Movie <laughs> Podcast.
1: But if you want to learn how to wield and handle and manage one of those in your home, Beastmaster. talk to uh, Ky- <laughs> talk to Kyle's wife because she has him... He's a wild man, and she has him oh. under wraps right now, and he's he, he's very civil. <laughs> aren't you, Kyle?
3: What are you talking about? I'm just <laughs> you are weird. Oh, I thought yeah. you were just talking. We do own a lizard, but it's... <laughs> I, was, it's I, I, that.
1: I was referring to you, sir. But
3: yeah, I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm just Watch kidding. out.
1: Anyways, speaking of crazy, tonight we have a, a themed episode of sorts where we're going to be talking about the infected and Woo. I cannot wait to, to talk about this and how do you guys want to start this? Cause I, you know, we haven't had a lot of time to prep for this particular episode. So everybody it's going to suck. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, how do you want to proceed? Let's,
3: I'll, I want to start where you started with the, the beasts. Tell it. Yeah. Well, uh, it, infection narratives have a potential of being so much more frightening than the zombie narratives, which they most closely uh, resemble. Mm -hmm. Because as I repeatedly tell people, zombies aren't real. uh, And I'm not particularly worried about the zombie apocalypse because I don't think it's going to happen. (laughs) Because I don't see the dead coming back to life except in some kind of rapturous biblical sense. So, uh, infected, however, are real. People get sick. Uh, people get viruses. Viruses mutate. Yes. People act crazy when they're on drugs or when they're infected. And so the, what the infected narrative, which in so many ways uh, kind of harkens back also to Romero, uh, to the crazies, is kind of like a plausible, realistic version of the zombie narrative, which is why a lot of people do equate them as being identical or at least uh, in the same subgenre. Because we get this stuff. And so you were talking about um, news reports there, Jay, and and we got that, especially, I don't know what it was about 2012. Maybe it was the impending Mayan apocalypse. Uh, But that was the summer of the bath salts stuff. Oh, yes. (laughs) Where, you know, people were eating other people's faces and and disemboweling themselves. And I mean, just crazy stuff was showing up on the headlines, where you kind of thought you were reading an Onion article Till you got halfway through it, so so we can kind of just start with there the idea that the infection narrative ups the ante on the zombie narrative by saying, yeah, well, but this could happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think about the other infected movies that don't that don't result necessarily in zombies. One of my favorites uh, from the '90s is Outbreak. I just love that yeah. movie, and yes. you know, go back and visit it, and it's a little cheesy, you know, and but it's a really fun movie, and it's super plausible um, because although the deadly virus that rears its ugly head in that movie is fictional, those monkeys and like as carriers as what they call reservoir carriers are totally legit. Like, uh, the macaque monkey is, other than humans, the widest spread primate on the planet, and they can carry this B virus, this kind of, like, herpes monkey B virus that doesn't affect them, but that they can pass on, which is basically what happens in the movie as well. They're reservoirs for this virus, and they carry it. And ironically, something like The Walking Dead, at least the television show, I, I haven't read the comic books in a long time, But the the television show kind of gives you this idea that it's an interesting mixture of what I would – at least the way I see the Romero narrative and the infection narrative by saying everyone already has the virus. We're all already infected with the virus, and it just shows itself upon death. Um, And that's an interesting way to work a real-life kind of viral idea into a more traditional Walking Dead narrative.
1: But, exactly. But I wanted to ask you guys though, I mean, because as far as I know, which I don't know much, but it seems like the crazies, you know, from the seventies, Romero's that you mentioned it already, Kyle. That's it seems like that's one of the first infected movies. So were these tied to um, specific diseases like AIDS or the bird flu or, I mean, w- was there something in real life that inspired this kind of fear to make these narratives?
3: Oh yeah. It depends on, on which narrative and when we're talking about it. Cause, cause certainly outbreak has, uh, clear references to AIDS becoming, you know, as, as Josh already said, started from monkeys in Africa, kind of setting it up that way. I I think the crazies, I don't know enough about that film really. Uh, but I think it was just Romero's idea of trying to come up with a more realistic variation on his already successful zombie narrative. Mm. Um, but, but as we get the different types of uh, diseases or manifestations or variations. I think it always is going to harken back to something that's happening in the real world, uh, be yeah. it the avian flu or the the hoof hoof and mouth or whatever it is that the cows get, uh, Ebola that you know that just came out, and of course with the filmmaking lag. You always have to kind of look at what was the big summer infection the year or two prior to the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that gives you a pretty good sense of what maybe inspired the narrative.
0: I think you made a great point. I saw a tweet that you sent out this week, Kyle. Um, And if you're not following Kyle on Twitter, you should be. But he had a pretty great tweet where he said uh, basically that because of the crazies, both types of zombie narrative, both The Walking Dead and The Infected, can be traceable. Or traced back to
3: Romero, which made me happy to see that. That's right. <laughs> Romero's think man, he, about it in that way. Yeah. He did a lot of stuff. The guy's creative. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because if you read interviews with him, you know, he's so casual about it. It's and,
3: almost yeah. dismissive. Yeah.
1: He's like, What whatever. <laughs> dis- <laughs> dis-
3: disinterested. <laughs> yeah. It's... Unless you unless you ask him about The Walking Dead, and then he gets pissed off.
1: <laughs> he does get fired up. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious.
3: Which is funny because
0: the creators love Romero, but... Yeah, I know.
1: Well, what about, I mean, probably uh, perhaps the most common or, or commonplace, everyday, widespread, one of the largest killers is cancer. And I wonder if cancer ever ties into this or heart disease is the number one killer like I, I wonder about things like that even though they're not like you know I guess Ebola or whatever but
3: they're not viral yeah they're, they're not communicable I, that's the problem it's hard to have a really terrifying narrative about cancer in the horror venue that's suicide unless it's, yeah unless <laughs> if, I mean if it was some kind of if you contracted cancer by Touching a cancer patient, uh, but it's really the spreading. I think that is the heart of the terror. Hmm. So
0: I was just thinking about The Walking Dead, and I think, I, like, again, it's been a few years. But have you guys read the comic books?
3: Yeah, I'm yeah. up on them. No.
0: Now there's a. I mean, there's a scene in the prison um, in the comic books that's pretty big. And again, I'm not caught up on the TV show. Um, the re- most recent season, but, um, in the comic books, spoiler alert, um, one of our heroes is bitten on the hand and has to cut his own hand off, um, to stop the infection, which doesn't seem to jive with this, um, Romero based undead theory. Very oh, well. right. I was yeah.
1: Just,
0: I was just thinking that seems to contradict the, the show maybe.
3: Well, one of the things that The Walking Dead is doing, and we see this quite often, is it's you know trying to reinvent the genre, update it to be more plausible, more scientific. That's one of the things we really do see in, in, in zombie films in particular, but I think you get it in a lot of the horror remakes we've been enjoying over the last 15 years. Most of the films from the 70s that have been remade recently make an effort to kind of explain stuff and to couch it in more realistic, psychological, scientific terms, because I think they're anticipating a more uh, savvy audience. So it makes sense that that uh, Kirkman's zombies are biologically based. They're more factually plausible. They're all that kind of stuff. And the TV show is more so than the comic.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And then you get like a World War Z where it seems based in kind of like a World Health Organization kind of world. Um, or even like you guys were saying with Maggie, that she came down with a zombie. Um, those, that seems to be the new thing, I guess.
3: Yeah. It's gotta be, it's gotta be realistic because kids today aren't going to be frightened by the zombie, the traditional zombie, because it's become so commercialized and so infantilized. So, you know, my kids are pretty young. They're not afraid of, Corpses rising up out of the ground, but they're pretty scared of the doctor and getting sick. And, you know, that's real to them because Mm -hmm. it is real.
0: My kids are scared of corpses rising up out of the ground because, as they've told me many times, um, mummies are the only real monsters. And so they're (laughs) terrified of that idea. Yeah. I think that's. They're real. I saw them in a history book.
3: That's awesome. (laughs) Not enough people are afraid of uh, the mummies. So you're doing something right. (laughs) <laughs> you know. keep, keep terrifying your children
1: well if they see that movie Mummy dearest that would probably make them more terrified man you are all <laughs> puns tonight man i I'm, I'm really slipping in i think i have Ladies some kind of infection
3: jay it will be here all week
1: <laughs> i have some kind of infection i'm slipping into puns more and more on these well, podcasts but um
0: so i'm super excited about this discussion because it, it's kind of one of those horror discussions to me um that I usually don't get too deep into, you know, like the, the defining the genre stuff. It's fun in terms of what we're talking about, but as a viewer, as a fan, I don't really care. I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me that they call infected movies, zombie movies and things like that. I think, you know, it looks like a zombie. It smells like a zombie. It tastes like a zombie, Um, (laughs) but, um, but I'm excited because I think Jason, Don't you really? Doesn't that really bother you? The, the mischaracterization of this monster. And then I'm also excited because Mm -mm. Kyle probably knows more than anybody alive about the difference between these two types of monsters. So I'm excited just as a listener to hear what you guys are going to say about this.
1: Well, to answer um, this might be boring, but 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 honestly, I, I confessed recently that Kyle actually straightened me out on this. And I I confess and admit openly and publicly that that I used to just insist that they infected were zombies. Period. But now I see that Kyle is right that infected is kind of its own subgenre. I also like Kyle's definition of zombie, which I'll let him talk about here in a minute if he wants to. But uh, so I agree with what Kyle has taught me, which is yes, there are zombies. Yes, there are infected narratives, and I'm a, I'm at peace with that. But I'm also at peace with the fact that. I'm okay with Colt call- referring to this as a zombie movie because, as you said, Josh, looks like a zombie, s- smells like a zombie, all that jazz. It, it works exactly like a zombie narrative.
0: Well, right. I-, I like thinking about it. I mean, the movies we're going to talk about tonight are actually different with the rage virus. But a lot of these movies, I mean, I would even say the Dawn of the Dead remake handles it like a virus. Oh, no, don't get any of it in your eye. You know, like right. the- like these types of things can turn you... Into a zombie uh, because of these pathogens getting into your bloodstream, and that I don't know. I mean, to me, it's, a, it's maybe it's a different uh, source for the for the for the monster. But I don't think compared to some of the places that you know more recent films like Warm Bodies or uh, Life After Beth have taken the zombie narrative and just totally ignored the rules in a lot of ways. I I don't mind this as just an alternate. Um, way to get to a zombie, you know?
3: It's, well, you raise a really good point there, Josh, that I'm going to s- stick out there. I think that the viral zombie movies are now more true to zombies than the zombie movies hmm. because the, the, the so-called zombie film has now drifted so much generically into the romance, into this kind of more, you know, paranormal fluff uh, that What was really scary about Romero's films was this, you know, chaos and and violence and uh, unchecked aggression and contagion and and all that stuff, which really does come to bear with highly contagious, infectious, zombie-like monsters. And so to me, that's that's kind of where Romero's vision is maybe being best preserved, uh, because it's certainly not in films like Warm Bodies or this new one I just learned about some of the, my boyfriend's dead or some atrocious thing.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't mind the, in fact, I actually love the kind of old school idea of when hell is full, the dead will walk the earth. Like that's a really exciting concept to me as well. It's just very, it's just very different, you know?
3: Well, but it's rarer. Uh, and that, that's why I like to see these, these more frightening and they're frightening because of their, uh, reality because of their realism and that's great horror is realistic because otherwise it's too easy to dismiss it. Mm -hmm. You want to be lying in bed at night at 2 AM going, Hey, wait a minute.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would almost like that that original concept, um, you know, taken to that logical conclusion of seeing a more evil, scary kind of, you know, supernatural world with, I know maybe that doesn't appeal to Jason, but, but like the idea of like, what does that actually mean uh, with hell being full and the dead walking there? I I would guess I would like to see that idea teased out a little bit more, maybe.
1: Well, what you're talking about sounds a lot like Wreck because it kind of goes that direction. Yeah, it's, a little. That's it, a good point. It's zombie-ish, it's infected-ish, and it's also possession-ish. It's
0: also. I also love. I know we're not talking about these tonight, but I love the voodoo zombie narratives as well. I think those are a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, and I'd I think to that, see that, more of those.
0: Yeah, it's underdone. I would like to see a lot more.
1: Kyle, write that movie.
3: Like, like Jason's humor. <laughs> no, I'll just let that go. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I realize your humor is overdone, not underdone. Uh, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, Josh is the. F- you're the filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got we got ideas, well, folks. We're teasing been, ideas out all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: We we started teasing some ideas out. They we we could we could change that to a voodoo story
1: potentially. <laughs> well, a minute ago, you guys were talking about the horror, and I think that with an infected narrative, it seems to me that the real horror comes from there not being a cure, right? And and, and that's like common in all of these. And it's funny because it's almost like the biggest thing that the characters are struggling against besides just strictly surviving, keeping their family members alive is equally they're struggling against losing hope. And I, I wonder about, cause it seems like we used to have all these films that always have, there was some destination they were trying to get to some place that had some promise. And now the films are kind of, starting to take a, a different route, and they're not really doing that, which I, I kind of dig.
3: Yeah, there's yeah. a bleak hopelessness of uh, the, the solution that you're looking for isn't going to be there, that what has been there in the past is going to let you down now. It, it's, it's, you know, it is a lot of post-9-11 distrust of government, feeling paranoid, feeling let down, and I think we're going to see an ebb of that uh, as people feel more comfortable and more confident. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's interesting, like, I just living in Colombia for the last few weeks, I've never lived in a place where cockroaches are around before. I just have never really, I don't think I've even seen a cockroach in real life previous to moving to Colombia. And they are, have infested <laughs> the, you know, some of the places around here. And, you know, I kill, I don't know, four giant cockroaches every day. And never before has the, that as a place of origin for the infection in Juan of the Dead mm. uh, struck me and I thought man that is when you live with it with this it feels like an infestation. it feels like these things are everywhere and it's insurmountable and that was that felt really I guess I appreciated the premise a lot more and the idea of that kind of virus being passed that way after having lived in this type of uh, environment.
3: Wow, timely real world experience. Yeah, yes, it is. it's scary. It's scary.
1: <laughs> Yikes! Is it getting to you? Is it kind of freaking you out a little bit?
0: It did the first night. Um, I've taken great measures to uh, barricade our house and turn this into more of a siege narrative than a nice.
3: <laughs> so well,
0: uh, I think we're. I think we're okay. I think we've almost killed them all.
3: But wow, that's I so disturbing. Know. It yeah. really is.
0: I, I almost I went looking for caulk so I could like caulk every crack in the built in the house, but it was hard to come by here.
1: If so. you need me to mail some to you, let me know. I'll do it.
0: I got some borax, and that seems to be doing the trick.
1: Yeah, borat. am just kidding. I won't. I won't. Yeah. I won't. You do already it. have. I, that's, I that's three.
3: Three from Jay.
1: I'm in a silly mood, anyways. So, Kyle, what? What do you predict? Here, point to the bleachers right now here. Like, what is going to happen with the infection narrative?
3: Well, you know, that's it's a tricky answer to give you because it depends on what happens in real life. You know, coming back to where we started our discussion, they are so much rooted in reality, and they are so much a direct reaction to what is currently going on. Uh, I think it's going to depend. Now, this, we've kind of had a little bit of a, an abatement but we did have Ebola right and that was huge and everybody freaked out and we haven't really had our film from that scare yet Um, but here's the cold hard truth Uh, diseases aren't going to go away infection isn't going to stop viruses aren't going to get weaker Um, so every time we think we've knocked back some kind of disease another one's going to show up that's how nature works because nature is constantly trying to kill us um, so we will get a new infection, and it will spawn a new set of narratives that will prey upon those fears. And then that'll go away, and we'll get another one, and we'll get another one, and we'll get another one. Uh, I think infection narratives, plague narratives, have more um, staying power than zombie narratives do, frankly. <clears throat> uh, they've been around longer, because the first plague narrative was, da-da-da, Mary Shelley. Yeah. wrote another extremely important book that everyone forgets because they all think about Frankenstein? But she wrote the first apocalyptic plague narrative. Yeah. Why? Because her society was afraid of being wiped out by disease. So yeah, long answer, but uh, this this is a subgenre that has tremendous longevity.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to one of the poor villa we're sponsoring a, a child on one of the more poor remote villages here. And we went out and saw their drinking water and, and visited her at her house. You know, she doesn't have doors. She has dirt floors and their water has to be delivered on the truck. And they put them in these giant containers and, and they don't boil the water um, just because it's so much effort. You know, they burn so many calories. It's so hot. There's no air mm-hmm. conditioning, one broken fan in their house. And they're just willing to live with, the ramifications of not boiling their water, you know, and it's crazy, you know, and I think that the idea of it being unseen, the unseen germs that my kids don't understand why they have to wash their hands unless there's mud on their hands because right. they can't see them. I, I I wonder if that makes the movies more boring because I, you know, I think there are, I think it's nice with a zombie or even with the monkey in Outbreak to have yeah. something to kind of blame it on, to kind of physicalize. The threat, because I think like a movie that I love that I think is terrifying, Contagion from 2011, is like the yeah. scariest, best version of what you could do with like an Ebola type movie. But um, I, I have the hardest time talking people into watching it because they're like, oh, it's about a communicable disease. That doesn't sound interesting. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's freaky, you know, but they'll they'll watch The Walking Dead any night of the week.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a great film, and it really makes you uncomfortable on airlines forever. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. But see, we're talking about t- – we're already in a subgenre, but we can break it down another layer uh, because the the more realistic contagion narrative, the monster is microscopic. So yeah, Josh is right. You right. can't see it. You see the results of it, and the results are these kind of horrible deaths. Which is, which is fine. Uh, but then we have, let me try to be specific. So that's the infection narrative. Uh, but then we have the infected narrative. And in the right. affected narrative, that's where the people who are suffering from the illness are the monsters. So right. th- there's a manifestation of, of monstrosity from the, the victims. And then it's not just, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to become sick and die. It's I'm afraid someone I love is going to become sick and then try to kill me. Uh, And so it definitely does uh, up the ante substantially to the narrative. I
0: think Planet Terror is a great mix of those two because you're dealing with both, you know, the Walking Dead kind of idea, but also just like your body turning into this disgusting pussy, like bloated, like it's so gross and just visceral.
3: Um, I think that's a great unsung zombie movie, by the way. (laughs) Me too. I, I love it. And infection and infected movie as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's all there.
1: Well, it's funny this infection infected notion. It really parallels uh, demonic possession movies as well because you uh-huh. you've got this in, invisible monster, so mm. to speak, that manifests yeah. itself through the victim, and then the victim appears to be the monster. But it's like, okay, if you can figure out a way to, number one, deal with this, <laughs> this victim monster and somehow get to or attack the, the origin monster, then, yeah, maybe you could beat it. But, yeah, they really have a lot of parallels, it seems.
3: Right. Well, that's, that's Herschel and his barn, right? It's not their fault. Uh, we, we shouldn't blame the zombies. They're just kind of doing what they're doing. They're sick. Mm-hmm. Can we can we save them? Can we find a cure? Has anyone even bothered to try? Um, and I I do see that as a a great potential for the subgenre. Yeah. yeah.
1: So just one other thing about this promised land type of place. Why? So are you saying, Kyle, that you think it's strictly because we've kind of have this mistrust of government, like FEMA dropped the balls, so? terribly or whatever after like Hurricane Katrina. And then after 9-11, the government was, you know, not able to be trusted and etc. I mean, there are so many things you could say. Is that why you think these narratives have stopped having that promised land, that place to try to get to?
3: Well, yes and no, because we're swinging back around, Right. So there was this sense of, uh, you know, Walking Dead, it's the TV show, not the comic, but the end of the first season where they go to the, they go to, uh, the, the CDC and all they find yeah. is, a, is a death trap. So trying yeah. to get help from the government is a failure and, and they go to Washington and, and it's, it's not what it was supposed to be. Um, so you get a lot of that. And, and 28 days later, for instance. Yeah, it's all this kind of fear of that. But with the, the World War Z film we do see hope in science. We do see that salvation can be found in the scientific community, but it's interesting to note that it's not the US government scientific community, it's, it's the lab, the UN lab in Wales. So I think we are seeing a little bit more of a, hey, maybe the government will come through, uh, but there's still this, if we wanna harken back to my favorite infection narrative, The Stand, it's still that sense Mm -hmm. of if we're all going to get some kind of disease that kills everybody, odds are the government made it. And I think there's that (laughs) still exists. There's still plenty of conspiracies about, you know, uh, viruses being engineered by the government against the treaties and, and biological chemical warfare. And that we've got all these super flus and super anthrax on ice somewhere. And uh that's current. You can find all kinds of stuff on that online right now.
1: Oh yeah. Yes, you can, but I wonder if this is oversimplifying things because when you talked about World War Z and the fact that there was some hope in there, I that kind of makes me wonder if it's that way because it was a big budget studio film. It's like True. You know, cuz you know how they interfere and they always want it to not be so bleak.
3: Oh, I'm I'm with you there, but highest grossing zombie movie ever made so if it was just hollywood people wouldn't go people are attracted to that kind of a narrative uh, partially because that's you know that's a different audience that's more of a family audience a date audience hey we want to go see a movie in which the human race isn't wiped out as opposed to most other zombie movies that have the really depressing negative results so no, I think I think' we'll, we need to see it a little bit better. Uh, we need another big Hollywood zombie production, uh, which Maggie we learned wasn't uh, to kind of see what's the what's the pulse of the community uh, what are what are people really responding to? We need another great infection movie too to see what the next one's gonna tell us about society. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: well, why do you think we haven't seen? films that are kind of like the zombie equivalent or the infection equivalent of daybreakers or kind of like I Am Legend, like where where we've gotten to a world where that has become the norm to be the mm-hmm. infected. Like, like, how come we're not seeing more of that, do you think? Yeah.
3: Well, it's interesting you bring up I Am Legend because I Am Legend is such a great case study because we get to see that narrative in four different decades uh, and how people interpret the narrative based on what's going on at the time so so yeah all four of them have this kind of okay the infection is the norm but whereas the original novel in the 50s which is no the the old norm is the monster to the first film in the 60s which is uh no the new monsters are the really monstrous Uh, to the most recent which is no i'm going to save the race through science and everyone's going to be cured and it's going to be kumbaya and what have you Uh, i think we do see that kind of trajectory that you're talking about but i also think that the reason we're not seeing that those films right now is we don't need those films right now or we don't want those films right now and that's tricky and it's hard to prove
1: yeah wow that's pretty interesting. So, and, and I don't want to fit this in at the wrong place. You just tell me, where does The Last of Us fit into this discussion, Kyle?
3: Uh, we can talk about that right now because it's perfectly applicable. So The Last of Us, uh, which is a video game. I know this isn't a video game podcast, but I'm sure a lot of, your listeners are, of our listeners are familiar with it. Um, it's very much an infection narrative. It's a zombie-ish, zombie-like scenario. The infection is uh, fungal rather than viral, but, you know, peas and carrots, whatever. Uh, but it's a, it's a narrative that starts out with this optimistic premise, which is, okay, we need to find a cure. Uh, as with 28 weeks later, the idea is, okay, we found a kid who is immune for whatever reason. We have to keep this kid alive. We have to take this kid to the proper authorities, to the proper lab, so we can save the human race. Uh, but The Last of Us is cr- almost cripping, cripplingly pessimistic uh, and has a pretty bummer of an ending, <laughs> mm-hmm. although I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, the Last of Us is really kind of saying that, don't trust the government, they, they can't be trusted, they screwed us to begin with and they'll screw us again. Um, and the only way to survive is to rebuild society without science and technology. And I don't think that's the message we get from 28 weeks later. I think there is a kind of message like that in 28 days later, but it's directed more towards the military than the scientific establishment.
1: Yeah. Did you finish The Last of Us then? Did you beat that game?
3: I did beat that game. Conquered it. I conquered it. And then I sat there. Staring at the closing credits for 20 minutes.
1: Wow. <laughs> trying
3: to figure out what had just happened to me.
1: <laughs> did you, wow. did you have to read, um, Nintendo power to do that? Did you get some one ups and stuff like, or how, uh, was it hard to do or is it like
3: there was, was using the power glove? <laughs> I got, I got stuck once where I had to go online cause I thought I was missing something. And then I realized I wasn't, I just needed to be more persistent. Uh, but the ending of the game, which is really this kind of interesting, potentially idyllic future, but all shrouded in lies and deception, uh, is remarkable. It's really a fascinating way to end a game, and it's it was far more cinematic than almost any video game I've ever played. Uh, and I really like it. I have a whole chapter in my new book about it because I think it's uh, the most plausible zombie narrative i've ever experienced it it's it's a scenario that could happen uh, and would be really pretty upsetting if it did happen but as with again 28 weeks later it's a narrative that ultimately is about family more than anything else it's about hope more than anything else and that's a very different kind of infection narrative than we were getting in the 20th century which was all don't trust the government, we're screwed, it's the end of the world, it's the apocalypse. So I, I do see overall, in all the narratives that we talk about, all the horror narratives, I see a shift towards optimism. Uh, history has told us that this will shift back at some point. It's it's all the pendulum.
1: Well, you said in The, the Last of Us that... Um, the way that it happens is very realistic, but also very upsetting. Now, is it a spoiler for the game to reveal? No, no
3: it's not a spoiler. It's um, And I how can't remember it? how to say it. It's this huge, long biological term. Uh, but it's basically, they, they take the idea of the zombie ant, uh, which is that there's a, a fungus that exists out there in the animal kingdom that in that the spores lodge in an ant's brain, takes over the motor control of the ant, forces it to climb up a tree until it's at just the right height, where there's just the right temperature and just the right humidity. Uh, It forces the ant to climb under the leaf and to bite into the stalk of the leaf, at which point the the fungus explodes out of the back of the ant's head and rains spores down on the ant colonies below. (laughs) Wow, Wow. that's
1: horrifying.
3: This is horrifying and this is real. This is an actual ecosystem in the jungles and this is how this particular plant, this particular fungus technically, um, procreates and reproduces. It's, it's through this very aggressive uh, system. That's a real
1: thing you're saying? You're saying this fungus you're talking about really happens this way? Yes. Oh my goodness. And
3: it's not, and this is the other thing. (laughs) There are multiple versions of this fungus that infect lots of different types of insects. So here's the premise. I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed right now. (laughs) What if this type of thing were somehow to mutate to where it uh, infected birds or it infected reptiles and what if it then infected small mammals and then what if eventually it infected humans? Well, that's the whole premise of the game. So you get infected by this fungus. You lose your agency, which is why I call it a zombie narrative. You become really aggressive, hyper-aggressive, and you attack everybody and try to kill people. And then at some point, your head explodes and you rain fungal spores down on everybody around you so you can (laughs) reproduce.
1: So Lotriman AF doesn't do anything for this, right? <laughs>
3: nope, you're screwed, <laughs> man. Um, so uh, so that's what The Last of Us is, which is why I think it's so really amazing, is because wow. it does have this, this uh, again, back to the beginning of the show to, that we've been recording, um, it is grounded in reality. This is something that actually exists, uh, that with just a little bit of creativity and manipulation becomes a truly horrifying, uh, monstrous, Thing that ex- we coexist with right now. This is this is it. This is happening. I believe in South America, Josh. <laughs> there you go, Josh. <laughs> perfect. Josh. So go out and find some of these ants and Headed report. Headed into
0: the jungle tomorrow. So perfect.
1: <laughs> You'll be thinking about this all day. I love it. Um, poor Josh. What? At least one last question, um, Doctor Bishop here. So, <laughs> what about? The video game experience for you as you were, because you've seen so many zombie films and and I can tell from talking to you that you really get caught up in it and you let it affect you. Oh, yeah. Now, can you describe for us or compare and contrast your experience with actually being involved? I assume, is it like a first person perspective? Yeah, it's
3: a first person perspective where uh, you're kind of just looking over the avatar's shoulder. Uh, and, but it's, uh, it's last of us is a great game. Cause it has a great storyline. It's a weak game because it's super linear. Uh, but what it is, is really, really realistic. So if you get bit by the infected, you die and the game's over immediately. You have to reload. Um, if you get shot, you can only get shot a couple of times and you die. And after you get shot once, you're like weaker and you move slower. Um, you can, you have to watch the sounds you make because the infected hunt by echolocution. So you have to spend half the game creeping around as quietly and slowly as possible. Um, so playing this game, cause wow. there's a lot of, there's a lot of profanity. So I had to play it in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a, I'm in my dark house Uh, watching the video screen, creeping around corners, trying not to get killed. (laughs) And I would go to bed every night with a – I was sick. I was sick to the stomach, and I couldn't sleep (laughs) because I had been so tense and so nervous. Because the whole game, you're just trying to protect this little girl who's immune. And if she dies, the game's over. If you die, the game's over. Um, But she's completely vulnerable, and so she dies really easily, (laughs) Um, and she usually dies horrifically with really amazing sound effects and lots of blood and gore. And then you feel like you just got this little girl killed. Wow. And since I have a little girl, um, it was really upsetting. At one point in the game, you do get to play the little girl, which just means every time she gets killed, it's, it's worse. (laughs) So, uh, I think it's a great game. Um, I am pretty immune to zombie films now mm-hmm. uh, because I study them so much and I can kind of, uh, you know, distance myself from it. But the interactivity of the video game still manages to freak me out and, and really make me feel uh, like it's really happening. And so uh, kudos uh, to video game designers. You you can still get to me. <laughs> But uh, I, I know because we're not we're not a video game podcast. But I will uh, I will say as if you are a video game fan, if you are a zombie video game fan, The Last of Us is must own uh, material for gamers.
1: So what do you rate that out, out of our ten scale? If you were to rate it,
3: I would give it an eight because of the lack of uh, because it's so maddeningly linear. Also, the uh, a major chapter takes place in Salt Lake City, uh, and they have the oh. zoo down by Temple Square, and so their complete disregard of local uh, landmarks pissed me off. So yeah, because would... <laughs> the
1: zoo is not by Temple Square, but yes. no.
3: So I gave it. I would give it an eight for those reasons, uh, but yeah, if you like, if you like these types of games, uh, Last of Us is top tier. Type of material
1: and and for everybody out there, The Last of Us. I'm sure everybody is probably familiar with it. This game, it appears that it was released in 2013. The developer is Naughty Dog, and this is yes. platforms PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3. Right?
3: It is. It is on its way to the big screen, so we will eventually be able to talk about it as a film.
1: Wow! Well, I can't wait for that. What's the news on that? Do you know off the top of your head? <laughs>
3: Uh, stalled, but still a green lit, still, uh, early production casting hasn't been finalized, blah, blah, blah. Wow.
1: That's that's
3: exciting. I'm keeping my eye on it because it's, it is a narrative that I'm quite invested in.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really hooked now. I mean, I'm super excited. I see here that it is, I tried to look it up on IMDb and the video game is on here on IMDb, weirdly enough. And the IMDb rating, on it is a 9.8 out of yeah. 10 from 20,000 users.
3: <laughs> Gamers love this game. It is it is the most successful zombie themed video game out there. Very cool. It is very cool. So check it out folks.
1: That was awesome. Well, anything else we want to talk about on the infected concept before we move into our feature reviews.
0: I'm sure it'll come up a couple more times in our reviews but
1: mm-hmm. all right
2: right now new at 11 for you new information on that horrific attack by the macarthur causeway police were forced to open fire on a naked man who refused to stop chewing the face off of another man we look into what could have caused this attack and we have new details on just how much of the victim's face was literally bitten off. CBS 4's Tiffany Hellberg spoke to a police officer who was at the crime scene. She joins us live from Miami. And Tiffany, the officer believes the man clearly, clearly was on some very, very powerful drugs. That's right, Cynthia. The Paternal Order of Police president tells me this crop of LSD is a major threat to police officers as well as the rest of us. He says it turns normal people into monsters that possess this superhuman strength and no ability to feel pain. He believes that's what was behind the incident that unfolded here Saturday in broad daylight, just off the MacArthur Causeway exit, right next to the Miami Herald. And it was the Herald's surveillance video that caught much of it on tape. Now. We want to warn you, much of the details you're about to hear are disturbing and gruesome.
4: It totally horrified me. Uh, This was probably my 30 years as a police officer, uh, the nastiest, most horrific uh, incident I've ever seen.
2: An incident partially caught on camera by Miami Herald Surveillance. Fraternal Order of Police President Armando Aguilar says that cop had no choice but to shoot when he found a naked man chewing away at another man's face.
4: Had had his face completely eaten uh, from the top of his forehead to uh, almost his jaw. Uh, it, It wasn't just that he was being bit, it's that the person was actually swallowing pieces of his face
2: his cannibalistic attacker unfazed by the officer's commands to stop
4: when the police approached him he turned around and growled and kept attacking the uh, the victim on the floor that's when he says the officer shot him the initial shots uh, had no effect he had to repeatedly shoot him about four times until the man collapsed
2: the naked attacker now dead on the sidewalk there he is on the left his now faceless victim lay on the ground next to him likely writhing in pain as sources say he no longer had eyes or a nose
4: well, i can only imagine by talking to the officer uh, I see that he's totally traumatized. It was like something out of a horror movie.
2: Aguilar says this is the worst out of about four similar cases in Dade County to happen recently. In other incidents, the people have admitted to taking a new strain of what they're calling bad LSD.
4: They're- Body temperature reaches such a uh, high degree that they have to take all their clothes off because they're basically melting from the inside.
2: He says that was a case just blocks away on Bayshore Drive. That was in March when a bloody naked man who had been hit by a cab growled at police and showed superhuman strength when they tried to help him.
4: There was more than 10 or 15 officers on the scene, and. Even after they taser the man two or three times, he was still able to take a baton away from one of our officers and uh, severely damage her arm.
2: Scary stuff. Now, I'm told that man from the March incident did survive. As for the man related to this incident off the MacArthur Causeway, who was attacked in the face, we know he is currently hospitalized in critical condition. Live in downtown Miami, Tiffany Helberg, CBS4 News Tonight. Unbelievable to hear it all. Thanks for that, Tiffany
1: well at this point let's move into our feature review of 28 days later
3: so who are you
4: wake up today in hospital wake up and i'm I'm hallucinating i've got some bad news they're infected 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 with
3: blood
4: i shouldn't have done that it's
1: the blood there's something in the blood
3: You never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello?
0: Okay, 28 Days Later is a 2002 film directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, one of my favorite collaborative teams ever, these two guys. It stars Killian Murphy, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston. And more. And um, I, I love the IMDb synopsis because it's just short and sweet. It says, four weeks after a mysterious, incurable virus spreads throughout the UK, a handful of survivors try to find sanctuary. And the movie opens in kind of a laboratory type of setting. And and I like that. And there's a highly contagious, rage-inducing virus at the heart of this film. And I think... Um, You know, we talked about reality being an important part of these movies. Rage, to me, when I first heard about it, wasn't totally a compelling idea for me. Um, But I did like a lot of other things about the film. Um, We get Killian Murphy waking up in a hospital, totally alone. And for those who know The Walking Dead, it's the exact same open as The Walking Dead. Um, Robert Kirkman claims that, he came up this totally independently of 28 days later. If you look at the timelines, they, they were originated around the very same time, but I'm pretty, but I, but I remember, I don't have the numbers in front of me now, but I did look at it at some point and it was possible. Although the theatrical release of um, 28 days later in the U S wasn't until after um, he would have finished the first uh, copy or the first, um, issue of the comic book, the film had been released in the UK and film festivals and was kind of a big hit. Um, so it it is possible he'd seen the film, but anyway, I I love the opening of both. And especially in 28 days later, it's just shocking because you're going through London and through areas that should just be teeming with tourists and buses and all the things we associate with like a bustling city and they're just empty and Killian Murphy in his hospital scrubs, just sauntering through, in in kind of a shocked, confused state, uh, taking in the destruction that's taken place in the wake of this rage virus being released. And it's a while before you know this is a zombie film, and. This kind of, you know, gets credit for revitalizing the zombie genre. There were, you know, this happened around the same time as a few other things, the comic book The Walking Dead, Shaun of the Dead, The Dawn of the Dead remake. We're all kind of in the same time period, but this was probably the first if I'm not mistaken to kind of really get things kicking off again. And I remember people groaning in the theater when the zombies kind of first present themselves because it wasn't clear that it was that type of a movie and people at that time were not into zombies. I mean, there had not been any zombie movies for a decade leading up to this at least. So I remember people being really bummed out that this was a zombie movie at first (laughs) and then it got great. And I think the movie, you know, succeeds in its own right and was good enough that it totally helps launch a reinterest in this monster.
3: Yeah. No, oh, that's good synopsis and good setup. Yeah, it uh it was the first one like this. I mean, in the 90s really all you had was the Peter Jackson one, uh which yeah. didn't really get a lot of airplay. Uh and so this kind of came out of nowhere. The Resident Evil film was almost out. It it, it was in post production when this thing came out. Okay. But this one did beat it to the theater, Uh, and then the fact that it kind of just serendipitously, coincidentally, came out right around Mm -hmm. uh, 9-11, the scenes of an abandoned London really kind of punched people in the face. Uh, especially the, the message board that had all the missing posters and yeah. uh, where are my loved ones and, and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, Kyle, question about that. I wondered if that was directly influenced from nine eleven. but are you saying that this was written and they they put that all together before 9-11 happened? It was
3: before, yeah. Hmm. Um, it was inspired by other natural disasters around the world because putting people's photos up and asking have you seen so and so yeah didn't start with 9-11 but right. that's what was happening on the news when the film came out because uh, they they were really kind of inspired by the hoof and mouse, mouth disease and the destruction of a lot of cows and cattle in london that was kind of what kick-started the film but then it just resonated it's one of those things where one thing inspires a movie but then it takes on an entirely different meaning just because of when it is actually finished, mm-hmm. and so and so it was like all the stars aligned and people were ready for this narrative, and people were afraid of being infected, and then 9-11 happened, and we're afraid of destruction, and boom, uh, a new a new revitalized genre is born because it's the first yeah. of the it's the first of the fast zombies, uh, yeah, because they're not dead, because they're not really zombies, so. right, right, right. <laughs> right. They can run, 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 run. And they're filled with rage.
1: Yeah. well, I will say, so I got to say a couple big things right here. I got to declare some things. Number one, um, these 28 days later and 28 weeks later, these are the scariest incarnation of a zombie-like monster to me. I genuinely get frightened, like, like actual scared when I watch these movies. I think they're freaking scary. And it's the scariest zombie. The other thing is, 28 Days Later, this is number four on my all-time top ten favorite horror films. This is number four. So, wow. I love it. Now, I wanted to ask you guys something. In that opening scene, and by the way, we should probably, uh, I, I assume a lot of our listeners have seen these movies, but because we're going to be going in depth, want to make sure you know that we're going to be covering full-blown spoilers for 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later. But when the chimp is strapped down and they're showing it images of all, the, all this violence and unrest and these awful things, I, went, I wondered if that was some kind of a, like a, <laughs> a dig on or, or if it was meant for horror fans specifically because of like the things that we expose ourselves to, and it's <laughs> like if it's affecting the chimp in a certain way, how are these kind of movies affecting us?
3: Well, that is a very good deep reading. I do not think that was the intention, but I think you're valid in reading it that way.
2: Hmm.
3: I think it was a a reference to Clockwork Orange. I think that's what they were going for there, which is notorious in the UK. It was banned in the UK uh, where it wasn't in the States. And so I kind of see it that way. Now, reading it that way, the way you just did, is great. And I did not see it that way, but I do now.
1: Well, were those scenes, were, was that imagery real? Because there, there's a scene, it's very fast, but it's extremely upsetting to me. It's the most upsetting thing in this entire movie, especially if it's actual footage. But um, they're beating a dead man. He's dead, obviously, that he was hanged. And they're beating his hanging corpse in the streets. And it's a really quick shot, but I'm like, you know, if that's actual footage of a real incident of a real person, like then that that really disturbs me in a deep mm. way. But um, I, I just wondered if you guys knew if that was real footage. I
0: don't, I don't know. know. Usually they do some kind of some actual and some fake uh footage for those types of
3: things. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But but it doesn't matter, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't. It looks real. Oh,
3: okay, I I pulled it off on Internet Movie Database. All footage featuring dead bodies, desecration of bodies, was faked.
1: Okay, okay.
3: So that can make you feel a little bit better. Yeah,
1: that is good. see in that case I'm fine. You know I'm fine with it. it. It's so weird. People think I'm insane, but like well I've said this before. When I watch like if I see MMA, like if I go to Chili's or a sports bar or something and I see MMA on TV and these guys are like pounding each other's faces in and it's bloody and he won't get off the other guy and he's just pounding his face in. that violence it makes me shake inside it upsets me so bad and and like people are like what you watch all kinds of horror movies and these right. terrible things and i'm like "Yeah, but it it's I, fake yeah <laughs> it's not real but that guy's really getting his face pounded in this is terrible i don't know so that's no, i
3: hear you <laughs> but but yeah. that that's why this movie is so disturbing is because it's, it is fake, but it's plausible. Right. (laughs) And you ask yourself, especially with the footage at the beginning, is this real? Could this be real? Um, these types of zombies are realistic. They, they can run, they can attack you. Uh, they can spit blood up on you. And of course the antecedent to that is AIDS. It's the idea that, you know, the bloodborne virus, the fear, don't get any blood on you. Don't get it in your mouth. Um, God, it upped the game so much. From ooh, look, creepy zombie shuffling across the screen. Yeah, uh, and the fact that Boyle shot it all in that super high speed footage and and cut it together, where it it, it really mm-hmm. does look like not found footage, but certainly kind of like news at ten footage. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it was one of the first movies, maybe the first ever shot on digital video
3: too, like mini DV. Yeah. if i'm not mistaken
1: wow that's interesting
3: yeah i mean you watch it and you think somebody's filming this uh
1: <laughs> yeah we, it looks real
3: we're watching this on youtube or something so. so
1: so the rage virus though i wanted to ask you guys so josh you seem to have a a feeling about that like did it bother you that the the name of the disease seemed to be so like self-evident like Because it appears like they are enraged. Did that bother you? Because it's so on the nose, or what?
0: I just think it's a little silly. It's like unobtainium level of (laughs) silliness to me. But it's um, the movie's so good, like you you can get past it. You know, it's it's definitely at the beginning of the movie. You know,
1: I don't know. So, would you have preferred that they just call it like V one H one? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I could see that.
3: Ah uh, well, in, in defense of it, I think it was more the name probably came after the fact that when they saw the effect that it had on the chimpanzees, they called it that. It was probably actually matricyclol topinacoline, and, and so the <laughs> scientists just said, "Oh, it makes the r- chimps mad."
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: There's- there's my apologist take on it.
1: <laughs> well done.
0: <laughs> just on the on the topic of the format, I'm just looking at this right now. Um, in order, it says this is from ASC.com. Um, in order to maintain the integrity of Alex Garland's script, the filmmakers opted for Mini DV, which is a tiny little videotape in one of the first digital video formats. That's my. Um, note there uh, this is a format at the lower end of digital videos resolution scale the advantage of that mini dv was that it is inherently uh, that it's inherently small cameras could be set up quickly which proved key to pulling off the stunning shots of deserted london and it goes on and on but um, not the entire film is shot in mini dv but a lot of it was shot on the canon xl1 which was kind of the first prosumer uh, mini dv cameras
3: that ever existed mm. Wow, neat. Well, it certainly feels real, and of course, that's what they were going for.
1: Yes. And it's
3: a documentary feel, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes, it does. So, um, one of my favorite scenarios in horror, which really, I mean, especially, this works even more effectively upon rewatches for me, and that's really rare, because in a, in a movie, like, usually when you watch it the first time, it's the most powerful, and then rewatches are less powerful... But this scenario where we have our protagonist that we know is in extreme danger, but because of the protagonist's total ignorance, they're extremely vulnerable to, um, you know, be attacked. And in this case, when when he wanders into that church and you know how these rage maniacs act, um, you're just like, that guy has like nothing and he is going in blind he's doomed (laughs) i love that like you know the first time you see it it's one thing but when you watch it again you're like oh i just remembered he has no idea what's going on and they're going to come after him i love that i think that's powerful
3: yeah no i I mean it's it's operating in a in a world where these types of scenarios are not well known because it's like in a lot of zombie movies he's not going to wake up and go oh i know this I, I've seen The Walking Dead. I know what's going on. Instead, right. he's just wandering around like we are as the viewers trying to figure out what's going on. And, and that is what makes it really, really scary is his vulnerability because he's super vulnerable for about two-thirds of the film. Yeah. And then he starts getting a little more action hero-y yeah. uh, until he's basically Rambo at the end where he's coming up out of the mud. No. <laughs> uh, it's actually a little over the top, I think, but overall – um, it's it's a pretty plausible portrayal of him, his reaction, uh, and what would happen.
1: Now, see, a lot of people, I'm glad you brought that up, Kyle, because a lot of people critique this movie, and that's one of their biggest criticisms, is how hardcore Commando he ends up going. Well, he starts out Commando, too. Sorry, I'll stop. Ah, that's poor. I'll, st- I'll stop. But no, um, he gets so hardcore Commando by the end, and I, to me... I'm a pacifist, I'm pretty, uh, uh, you know, peaceful, I would say, but if I were in his situation and I had gone through what he had gone through, it's like, um, and I don't want to spoil this, I, I won't, but you'll know what I'm talking about and people who have seen it, it's like Walking Dead, what is it, the end of season four, the beginning of season five, there is a hardcore scene where Rick does something extremely insane and you're like, well, I guess you would get to that point, like, yeah. you know, and, and so it it almost, I don't really see that. I think that he would not be as effective and as lethal as he is, so I think they should show him fumbling more in his attacks and so forth, but I could see him getting to that point where he would go just totally berserk. And
3: Oh yeah, yeah. it's adrenaline, it's survivalism, it's, it's raw. Um, a lot of it is luck. As I was watching again this week, I realized, man so many narratives are about heroes who survive by luck and and Jim is really lucky throughout the whole movie oh, yeah. uh, but I'm fine with that because we don't tell the stories of the unlucky heroes <laughs> yeah, right. although someone should do a collection of like five minute films about the unlucky <laughs> heroes who get killed five minutes in yeah, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I mean he does what he has to do to survive and I think if it was my family, or what at that point was considered my family, I would get pretty medieval. I
1: pretty know quickly. you could. I sense that in you.
3: Or I'd die trying. Right. Uh, and, and he's really ready to to die trying. He just doesn't. Yeah. So, good on him.
1: Absolutely. Now, I was going to ask you guys, in the beginning of the film, the the first infected person that he comes in contact with is a priest. Yeah. And I love this because of all the people that he should be able to trust and turn to for answers. I mean, he is a lost misguided soul and it is the priest who attacks him. (laughs) Talk about that, Kyle.
3: I don't need to. Okay. (laughs) You did it. This is, you can't turn to religion anymore. Religion will betray you as well. (laughs) There is no hope Uh in this modern civilization of ours. Um, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful opening of, of, despair in a lot of ways. Within the first five minutes, science has betrayed us. Within the first 15 minutes, religion has betrayed us. And by the end of the film, the military has betrayed us. Wow. (laughs) Uh, So there's really nothing you can rely on in this world except people. And that's the lesson that Celine learns. Because when she starts out the movie, you know she's like, I will kill you in a heartbeat. I will survive by myself. We don't need this old man and his daughter. And by the end of the film, she realizes this is all that matters. Who cares about all the rest? What's the point of surviving if there's no one to share the world with? Yes. Right. <laughs> and you don't need an institution. I mean, I'll get the uh, Try not to be too professory. Do it. Uh, but Althusser <laughs> wrote about this. Althusser was a neo-Marxist who was paranoid about every inst- social institution. And he said, look, you can't trust the military. You can't trust the government. You can't trust... Uh, The school system, all these things exist to manipulate you and to mess you up. Uh, And so we get that kind of a a nihilistic attitude from this film. But then it has this wonderfully life-affirming conservative ending, which is reconstituting the nuclear family with this father, mother, and daughter who are saved. Yay! (laughs) The family conquers all. Mixed family. <laughs> mixed family. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. It's a white guy and a black girl. love it.
1: <laughs> I love it. They have my all-time favorite hymn in this film, Abide With Me, which I love. Huh? It's at the 22-minute yeah. mark. I'll put it in the in the episode somewhere. But, you know, guys, this soundtrack, I just want to say, that theme to this right. is incredible, mind-blowing to me. Do yep. you, you guys love it, too, or not?
3: I think it's overplayed yep. in the second film, but I think it's super effective, especially the way they introduce it through that almost 10-minute segment with no dialogue, mm. where, uh, as Josh was saying, he's just walking around London, which should not be empty.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, right.
0: Right. Right. I just wanted to go back and clarify. what By mixed family I wasn't necessarily referring to their race, but... Just, oh. <laughs> like, they're just a collection of kind of strangers that have formed a new family. But yes, also
3: that. Yes. All right. well, I've, got, I've got mixed races on the brain right now because of that crazy woman who <laughs> thinks she's black.
1: <laughs> I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm afraid it's, to ask.
3: <laughs> hey, get on Twitter, man. It's all we're, we're over Jenner. We're now talking about this crazy woman.
1: Okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so... The, there is a part in this movie that almost brings me to tears every time I see it and it is the the note from his parents that yeah. that they wrote on the back of that, that picture. I yeah. it couldn't have been more perfect. I don't think I I, I wrote it down because I love it. It said Jim, with endless love we left you sleeping now we're sleeping with you. Don't wake up. Yeah. now that's incredible now the the fact that they what's chilling what gives me chills is where they say don't wake up now that's that tells you how bad it was you know what I mean and the fact I mean do do you think that they just thought that he would never wake up because I think as a parent I'm like okay would I have done that like what would I have done with him do you think it's weird they left him in the hospital like that
0: you wanted them to kill him and then wait around to kill the zombie version of him?
1: (laughs) No, that's what I'm, I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I mean, you'd run, you'd run down through the options in your mind, obviously. Yeah. And, and,
3: uh, go ahead. It's, it's flawed. I mean, the, with both this one and the walking dead, um, with Walking Dead, you kind of have Shane intervene to make it more plausible. But there is that sense of, wouldn't they be by his side until the end? If they were going to euthanize themselves, wouldn't they do it to him? Why would they doom him to the possibility of coming ba- waking up into this? But it, it's I think a lot of it's plot, and I think a lot of it's narrative. But it also could just be, these parents gave up. Uh, they were so terrified and so scared, they couldn't get to the hospital. Yeah. I don't know, I'm riffing on that. What do you think, Josh?
0: No, I, I don't know. It's... It's always problematic. I think it, they could make those types of scenes make for my favorite scenes in zombie movies where a loved one is stricken and you have to decide how you're going to how you're going to approach it. I guess this is slightly different in that they're not stricken, but I don't know. Yeah. It's it's problematic. I agree in this movie.
1: I still love it though. And I'm I'm very pleased it with that. It is touching
3: and it does kind of kick you in the gut because there is that that line is great that don't wake up.
1: And it's beautiful. Uh, And And really the end. And I appreciate the movie, the fact that the film takes a moment for him to weep over them. Uh, I think that that's tremendous too. Now, it's interesting to me that the infected obviously don't attack people who are unconscious. You know, it's like, so how, it's it's almost like, it's almost like they can sense people who are non-infected, but they can't. Even if they're alive and breathing, they can't sense that they're still food.
3: Well, and this is, I watched really closely for this, uh, this time I was watching for, were these infected really about cannibalism? Um, And the first film, you don't really see them eating people. You just see them killing people. Right. Where they just beat them up and bludgeon them and bite them as weapons, not not seeking nourishment. Right. but if, if you're talking about a highly developed virus the virus would instruct the host to leave other hosts alone because the whole goal is procreation and 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 dissemination so there are viruses that are tuned to that uh apparently according to science i i looked into this a few months ago that that for the virus to reproduce it would only seek out uninfected potential hosts and then it wouldn't this is where the film falls apart a little bit it wouldn't try to kill them it would simply try to infect them Yeah.
1: Well, and I wonder, because they end up, I mean, they do end up infected and not killed for the most part, right? I mean...
3: For the most part, yeah. In 28 Weeks Later, you get a little bit more of the, they eat people and they kill people, because I think that film is more overtly influenced by zombie movies, whereas yeah. this film is more overtly influenced by infection narratives.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing, I've, I've seen this many times, because it is in my top 10, but... One thing that really bothered me this time watching it through for this podcast is how, like when, okay, so they're, let's see at what point. It's after, they're like walking to the, the building with the flashing Christmas lights. Uh-huh. And um Selena, she was really talking really loud as they were traveling at night. And it's like, no, 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 no. That <laughs> that, that really takes a, away from the re- realism. It's like they would be much, much quieter yeah. on this. But that kind of bothers me. Just one to nitpick. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would not breathe if I lived in this kind of a world. I would be so quiet all the time.
3: Yeah, it's not a perfect film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we would be, but. I mean, I tell my kids to whisper all the time. Every time someone's on the phone, or you know, they they they're not good at whispering when they
3: should be.
1: Yeah, if you have kids, you're doomed, basically. Like cause, <laughs> cause they will screw but what, you.
3: Weren't there? I can't remember exactly now, but at that point, weren't their emotions a little bit heightened? So maybe they were being a little less cautious, accidentally, or
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. Um, what did you think of this my my favorite scene in the entire film is. When they're changing the tire in that kind of
3: oh yeah, that's tunnel. that's tense.
1: That's extremely tense, and the fact that the rats come running first is incredible. Yeah, and I love the look of the actors that they cast as the infected. I read in the IMDb trivia oh, that's that
3: skinny skinny kids and stuff.
1: Yeah, like the runners. I mean, he yeah. he actually um, cast athletes who could really perform well. And the fact that it makes them so fast or heightens their physicality, any comments about that?
3: I mean, it's cool. It's a cool yeah. idea. Well, you know, we're reinventing something here. People were not scared of the slow-moving zombie. So let's make a really feral, uh, fast creature that, that is is—it's more like a, a tiger than it is a, a human being. And, and then you get the clock, right? The, the countdown clock is a great cinematic device. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Um, although I noticed that she changes – Hannah changes the tire thanks to a number of jump cuts, whereas the running zo- zombie f- infected don't have them. So there's a little fallacy there with the editing. But it, it's fine. I'm fine with it because it really does it, – it makes you very tense and very uncomfortable, and you you share in their sense of triumph when they just barely make it.
1: I would be and- – Doomed, it takes me two hours <laughs> to change the tire. Was, it's probably like seriously about an hour, but I would be so screwed. What, what, Josh? Sorry,
0: and just to go back to that casting uh notion, I love when the filmmakers take seriously the look of the extras playing the zombies because yeah. The Walking Dead has done that incredibly well, but there are so many movies where they don't, um, and you know, it, it's different for each narrative what state the dead should be in. But the two movies, these are weird polls for for this particular podcast. The two movies where I really noticed this done well with The Walking Dead would be uh, Resident Evil Extinction, uh, Mm. which is the third film, and uh, Haunted Mansion, the Disney movie with with, uh, Eddie Eddie Murphy. They they do such a great job at casting really skinny people for their hero zombies. (laughs) And it's creepy like it look that you can see their real ribs and so you don't need to add um you know fake ones too much and and they their legs kind of do look like bones um through their ripped clothes and stuff so i the, i think i always like when the filmmakers are that are utilizing that level of um attentiveness in their filmmaking
3: oh absolutely and that's what it adds to the the realism that they use actors and they use actual people, and and the CGI in this film is very minimal, if at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's lots of practical effects and and lots of acting and, and working through stuff like that, and so kudos. I, I think it it succeeds on all those levels.
1: Well, and speaking of the performances, the way they behave when they are infected, um, yeah. honestly, like. <laughs> I think it would be hard to pull that off a little bit. Like, I, I I don't know. If somebody were, if they were goofing around and acting like that around me, I think it would really upset me. So, so if we ever have a meetup, people are going to come up to me and do that. Like, that, that, that rage.
3: You just writhe around. <laughs> yeah, just rage like, thrash,
1: yeah.
3: thrash on the floor and scream and howl like an animal.
1: I'll fall into a fetal position, but... um.
3: <laughs> but I, I like that too. Again, the, uh, Boyle's kind of taking this creature and making it more realistic. Um, they are more like animals and they, they kind of cry out and they howl out. And, you know, how much of that is they've blown out their vocal cords, uh, they, they have some lingering memory that they're tormented by. Uh, all that kind of stuff is really great. Uh, for the realism, but it also makes these creatures really terrifying with blood stripping out of their eye sockets. And Oh, yeah, I'm with you, man. This is a scary (laughs) film.
1: It is, genuinely. And one of the, I think, the most disturbing part to me next to, you know, aside from the the beating the dead guy at the beginning, is uh, when the dad, when the Brendan Gleeson is transformed when the blood drips into his eye and it's yeah. it's so tragic that his daughter has to witness that and that he knows that his daughter is going to be witnessing it and that she has to witness him being murdered and everything right in front of her i mean that is that is deep deep tragedy yeah powerful i i i love it like i i actually love disturbing films but, like, that's one of those things that, like, almost takes me to my edge of, like, what I can tolerate because it's really harsh for me.
3: Yeah, I think it's the most effective scene in the film. Um, and, But it messes you up as a dad, you know, and, and that sense of yeah. – it, it's one thing to say, hey, kid, I'm about to die. It's another to say, I'm about to die and then I'm going to try to kill you. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> It's so, <laughs> it's it's so much the worst possible scenario ever, um, and Gleason nails it. I mean, he's such a great actor. Oh yeah, uh, and and the way it's shot and the the way the music works and the this the only to my knowledge the only subjective point of view from a drop of blood in cinematic history. Uh, it's just a great moment that is so upsetting.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's. The, one of the worst things about it is how stupid it is, you know, like, oh yeah, it's it's so senseless and unnecessary. And because he was throwing his tantrum, you know, <laughs> it, it happened and it just dr- happened to drip in his eye. And that's just very unfortunate.
3: Well, oh, yeah, it was his idea to go. He was the only one who believed there was salvation. And then to find out he was right-ish... <laughs> Uh, And he's not going to live to see it.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah,
3: To say it sucks is an understatement.
1: (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) So with what takes place here with this military compound, um, I've heard a lot of people complain about that. But honestly, I think it's extremely powerful and it fits right in with this bleak film because to me it's a horror movie within a horror movie. There's like a smaller horror movie within it. And I... I just I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm not a female or anything, but it it just it's truly just scary and horrific and upsetting and it's it's a great example of the the genre, the subgenre of like the zombies or zombie related monsters where the humans are worse than worse. the monsters. <laughs>
3: like yeah. Well, that's yep. that's Frankenstein, right? This goes back to the roots. The true monster is us. Uh, Walking Dead spends most of its time in this area nowadays. Um, the the infected, the zombies, and I've talked about this before on the show. They're just living up to their instinct. You know, they, you can't really hold if a tiger. To go back to what Josh was talking about, if if your domestic lion attacks you, well, duh, <laughs> it's a lion. That's what lions <laughs> right. do. but the military are supposed to protect and serve, which I know is the police force, but they're supposed to be the ones who rebuild society. They're supposed to be the ones who are supposed to protect you. So the fact that the, what is supposed to be the most trustworthy human being becomes the most dangerous human being takes this film to another level. I find that third act to be the most frightening part of the film because the antagonists shift to the military and away from the infected
1: yeah and and what you said about the shifting it it's really crazy because it's almost like you get this sense that um the infected become his i don't want to say teammates but it's almost like he prefers them <laughs> he would prefer to be around infected yeah than well these then you maniacs. know what
3: you got you know what <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah Yes. Yeah. you can know what to expect from them because then there's not this evil secret human nature oh, sorry Josh were you going to say something
0: I, I, my, my only problem with it I just it, it's the logical place for movies like this to go to have some sort of police or military intervention and I think what they do in this movie is great although I didn't love that it went there in the first place and that's one of my biggest problems with 28 weeks later but I don't love the inclusion of the military. Um, I don't mind war movies, but I don't like military types in other movies. And I think it's just because, and this is no disrespect meant to those who are bravely serving and putting their lives on the line. But I just think that like with Godzilla, we are now dealing with some really uninteresting types of people <laughs> as are, you know, are, have been injected into the movie. I, I'm talking about the most recent uh, Godzilla film. I just don't like the kind of characters that um, enter the movie. I'm not as interested in this kind of infrastructure. And I think because I'm more interested in zombie movies as a testing ground for like the anarchist theory. That's probably what, my most, what most interests me about zombie Ooh. movies. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always more boring to me to have the military intervene. And, I, and I, yeah, again, just those types of characters are just not as interesting to me.
3: Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but the chilling line to me is when Eccleson says, I promised them women. Yeah, it's very and, it upsetting. Is, and it is as Josh is saying it's an easy target right mm-hmm. um, yep. but it is but they're so serious and it's and it's played so realist that you're like oh crap <laughs> um, and and that really is where the fear turns on because uh, Jay knows this the horror movie the one horror movie subgenre I won't watch is home invasion narratives because mm-hmm. uh, I I that is my greatest fear in real life is that someone will break into my home and assault my family and I won't be able to help or prevent it. Right. And so to me, that's why this suddenly becomes elevated to that level, which is Jim is helpless, he's powerless, and he knows these two uh, women that he cares for and loves are going to get violated. That's so frightening because it's that f- sense of powerlessness.
1: Yeah, which, which I think also supports... Why he would go so commando? I mean, it's right. just what you would do. He's
3: going to go for broke. Yeah. He's got nothing to lose.
1: That's right.
3: Uh, and it and it does give you that classic Rambo catharsis. Yeah. Of of now we get to root for the zombies for a, a minute.
1: Yeah, and, and and they these military guys deserve it. Let's be honest. But
3: uh, right. Although I feel bad they when he stabs the the cook. I mean that kid didn't know what he was doing to begin with.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's
3: it <laughs> kind of sad he just he just fell in with the wrong crowd.
1: <laughs> um but to speak to Josh, what you said Josh, I I am with you on that and I think that and obviously I think we all know this. The reason that happens is they've got this this mass of an organization, this giant military organization and <laughs> it is, it's really painted in broad strokes. They're not really developed very well. And I think that is problematic in a lot of films, but like, for example, um, yeah. the hurt locker and, in, in like things like American sniper, when you actually get to know actual characters and people as individuals, then it is, it is wonderful to watch. But yeah, I'm, I agree with what you said there.
0: I also just want a nice mix of characters. And I think the military element or police element kind of overpowers, the authority, um, even with like Rick and the walking dead, like he, of course he's going to be the leader. He's the sheriff, you know, and you get uh, like, um, oh, what's, a, what's an example I was just thinking of. I, I just think like look with lost, for instance, I don't like having this hero of Jack that just can solve every problem. I like when I'm in this kind of, You know, Lord of the Flies, zombie movie, post apocalyptic kind of narrative. I like to see what each of the individuals is going to bring to the table and offer in terms of um, their own life skills and their own life experience to the dire situation that we're in. I, I would have thought Lost was a lot more interesting to see each of these guys use their own background to help solve the problem instead of Jack always being the one who's going to solve the problem. And so it, it doesn't it doesn't become a problem in this movie. And so I'm kind of, yeah, I don't know, it's maybe not on, on point right now. But I just do see that as a problem when you have these big military um, presences in these types of films that, like, even with World War Z, I mean, it makes more sense and it's maybe it's more realistic, but you're dealing with characters who are the people who should be assigned to deal with this instead of people having to figure out how they're going to deal with it, um, you know, with their limited knowledge. and Like, like with um, Tom Hanks' character in Saving Private Ryan, he's a school teacher. Like, he shouldn't be the guy in charge, but the fact that he's put in that situation makes his character and the situation a lot more interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes good point. So... As we wrap up this particular review then, do you guys have any final things to say before we go into ratings?
3: Uh, No, I have some things uh, more on the the pair of the film, but I'll save those for the second film.
1: Okay. All right, well, Josh, kick it off and tell us your final thoughts and ratings on 28 Days Later.
3: I do
0: really like this movie. I don't like it as much as you. It took me completely off guard when I saw it the first time and thankful it exists because it led to a lot of other movies existing that I absolutely love. I think Danny Boyle is one of our great living filmmakers. Hello. You know, I don't love all of his movies. (laughs) But I but I do think he's just super, super talented. And I think the energy that he brings to a movie like this is undeniable. And you look at a movie like Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, um, movies that when you hear the plot, you wouldn't automatically assume they would be just these quick-paced, intense experiences. But they are so well done, and he just handles material like this so well. And I would love to see him do just a full-on horror movie like this again. You know, he's – him and Alex Garland are more in the sci-fi world, if anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I would say that Train Spotting certainly has some horrific elements and, uh, and
1: Sunshine beach, goes horror by the third. The sunshine
0: goes horror. The beach I think is, you know, has some definite definite horror elements to it. Um, and I'm a huge fan of our Alex Garland um, as well. He's just one of my favorite guys working in Hollywood right now is, Ex Machina, his new movie that he did, his directorial debut, but all of these oh. movies that he wrote for um, Danny Boyle, I, these guys are just so strong and I would love to see them do something else. I think the look of the film, while interesting and different, um, does detract a little bit and uh, I think it could be a little more overtly plotted um, for my taste, but I, you know, but I do think it's well done. And um, and I and I and I like it quite a bit. I give it an eight point five, and I think it's uh, a must own for zombie fans. Others could probably rent it, but I think it's uh, if you're a zombie infected, especially a zombie fan. If you are interested in fast zombies, this is a must own.
1: Yes, sir. Totally agree. Okay, and what about you, Doctor Walking Dead?
3: Uh, I agree with a lot of what Josh just said. I think this film is hugely significant historically for kind of being the first great realistic horror film of the 21st century. I think it really did kind of kick off where we got to today. Interesting. Um, It did so much for zombie history. Uh, If you're talking about the most important films in zombie lore, it's probably White Zombie, Night of the Living Dead, and this film. Uh, Those really kind of are the, the... Starting films for the three main generations of the subgenre, yeah. um, so I love it. I think it's. I think it's terrifying. I think it's well acted. I think it's. Uh, it's revolutionary, but it's not perfect. And I do agree with with um, Josh. I think the the filming, uh, the the like film quality is good. I like it. It works for me. The varying speed and the the really fast editing gets overwhelming and i think that is one of its weak points is that some of the action scenes you you cease to understand what you're looking at um, which is something that the fury road does so well um, by keeping things in the crosshairs And, and this film doesn't really do that and and a little bit of stereotypically portrayed characterization and plot development weakens it a little bit as well. But overall, I like it. I like that it kicks off this new era that I talked about on my State of the Zombie Address with the fast zombies, with the road trip, with the the positive resolution, the hope for a good outcome, all that stuff is really effective to me. So I give it a nine, a strong nine. Uh, I think zombie fans must own it. I think horror fans should own it. And I think uh, I'm just going to just say own it.
1: <laughs> All right, good. That makes me happy. And for me, you guys, I unequivocally have to say it. This is a 10 out of 10. This is a full-blown masterpiece to me. It is a must-see. It's a must-buy. It's the scariest zombie movie to me. There's there's nothing scarier to me in, in terms of the zombie-type self-genre as this. I love this film. I could literally, I'm not even kidding. I could watch this every day, <laughs> once a day. The only reason I don't is because it's too upsetting, it's too gross, and it's too scary to like subject myself to it every day. <laughs> but
3: that's but, high praise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But this is phenomenal. I absolutely love it. Wow.
3: Well, I don't think I could watch any movie every day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: josh found out recently i um i watch the jurassic park franchise pretty often don't i josh (laughs) (laughs) more than one would suspect yeah (laughs) that's hilarious all right and at this point in episode 58 of horror movie podcast we'll move into our feature review of 28 weeks later welcome to london one. Although District 1 is completely safe, outside the security zone, Planton remains a wasteland. There are a large number of bodies still left to be cleared from the original outbreak of infection.
4: home. Oh! How old are you, Andy? 12. I think that makes you the youngest
1: person in the entire country. Welcome back. We wish you luck in your new lives.
4: Oh. I so much. This is what it's all about, gentlemen. Family starting again. Did you like it? It's
1: amazing. Are you going to tell us what happened to Mom?
3: All right. 28 Weeks Later was released in 2007. Uh, so five years after 28 Days Later. It is an official sequel building on the events of the, the first film. Plus, it was produced by Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, who wrote and directed the first film. So we do get that sense of continuity and that, that kind of tie-in. As the title reveals, this film uh, follows the events of the outbreaking rage virus in London and England. But now we're 28 weeks later instead of 28 days later. Mm-hmm. Although the film does have an opening vignette. Uh, which takes place in that initial four-week period. So the the opening scene, which I think is quite well done, wow. is is action that takes place concurrent with the action of 28 days later. Uh, and then, as in the first film, we jump ahead, you know, uh, with some helpful title sequence and some uh, some text on the screen to 28 weeks later. At which point, the American military and government has come to the rescue of the British Isles. And is doing what they can with their military strength and, and scientific prowess to make the island re-inhabitable uh, by the people who have been displaced who now want to come home <laughs> uh, as with the first film there is a central focus on family uh, this one although this one is more literal than symbolic uh, at least initially the film is about dawn Played by Robert Carlyle, who I really like. Uh, he's a great actor. Yes. yes. Uh, a survivor who makes it through the 28 weeks uh, and 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 is seeking his reuniting with his children. Uh, Tammy, who's played by Imogene Potts, who's gone on to have quite a successful career. And young Andy McIntosh Mogaton, who I don't know much about. Uh, and they are reunited in in the kind of zone one, although they don't call it that of London. And then of course everything falls apart and uh, things go south really fast. And the infection re-outbreaks, which is not a word, uh, (laughs) but it should be a word. (laughs) The re-outbreak, which results in the military taking their standard Hollywood course of action, which is just destroy everything. And so the last half of the film basically becomes a race for their lives. As the young children seek the safety of France. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, in a nutshell. That's the film. So it replicates some of the uh, the urge to survive, the desperation, the the quick quick pacing, the the editing, the film quality, and this kind of hope for salvation. Although this film ends on a much more pessimistic note than does the original. <laughs>
1: Yes, and just a reminder to everybody out there, we are going to be going into full-blown spoilers for 28 weeks later. What do you have to say, Wolfman? What do you think of this?
0: I agree that Robert Carlyle is incredible, as he he usually is in his, um, well, all of his work, but definitely in his Danny Boyle collaborations. Um, I haven't seen this movie in a long time until I revisited it for this show. Uh, I did remember that this was an early standout role for Jeremy Renner, but I hadn't remembered... Uh, Idris Elba at all yeah. <laughs> in yeah. this movie so that was interesting Rose or Byrne, Rose Byrne. Yeah. yeah, I'm a huge Rose Byrne fan and did not remember the shoes in this movie
3: Same.
0: I also love Catherine McCormick and as we were just talking about Lost, Harold Perenow, uh
3: yeah I is, love him
0: he's excellent But yeah. um, so the cast is incredible it's a movie that I was a little bit worried about um, when I heard it was being made and that Danny Boyle and Alex Garland were not involved in the creative in creative departments, um, in the film, but the new people pull it off with, uh, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, you know, on board as producers. Um, and probably with their hands in, in, you know, in the cookie jar, I guess, I don't know if that's right <laughs> figure of <laughs> speech, but, uh, their hands in the pudding, uh, a little bit here as well. Um, the opening scene of this movie is maybe my favorite zombie scene in any movie ever. Uh, I think it's so well done. It's freaking terrifying. Um, Even though I haven't revisited this movie for years, I watch that scene probably once a year or every other year because I'm always showing it to people. I'm like, have you seen the Uh, opening to 28 Weeks Later? It's insane.
1: Thank Um, you. I agree. It's so good. It's it's so so good. Josh, that I, opening scene, I got to back you on this. The, the opening scene to this film is so upsetting and disturbing to me yeah. that um it's probably in my top 10 all-time favorite horror scenes. Just the <laughs> sequence. Yeah. I love this beginning. In terms of just I'd being
0: viscerally terrifying, like, it's so scary and unrelenting and, and just great.
1: I mean, what he does, the betrayal, the, the fact that he. Yes. <laughs> like, that kills me. Uh,
0: but, it, but it also just keeps amping up. like you don't think it could progress from this point and then it does and then like you know up into the attic and then out to the boat and like you just like really? <laughs> like, yeah, it's so good. Um, this is a really <laughs> fun movie. It was far better than I had anticipated be- anticipated it being. but I again, I don't love just kind of the military setting of a lot of this stuff, the governmental kind of stuff. And I think about you know Victor Miller, Um, who wrote the Friday the 13th movie, he talked about, as he had kind of tried to unpack what exactly had worked about Halloween, he said, you know, parents can't be around. Authority figures can't be around. These people have to be removed from that for it to be really scary, and I I guess I just believe that. I've bought into that as an idea. Of course, it can be done well, and you know this is an example of it being done pretty well, but um, it's just not my preference, I suppose.
1: Well, I, again, I agree with you on this military stuff, but honestly, in terms of realism, it seems like it almost has to, because uh, if if the military weren't involved in this, especially yeah. with the way this story is structured, yes. it, it wouldn't make sense for them not to be a part of it. It's
0: not that this, it doesn't work for this story, it's just that this isn't my favorite kind of zombie
3: story, mm. is, all, is what I'm trying to
1: say. I see, okay.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it villainizes the military pretty drastically, and you would think that more than just one sniper would say, you know what, I'm not going to shoot a bunch of civilians. Screw you. This yeah. is a stupid plan. Uh, but you do get that kind of fail-safe option, which is so crucial to Outbreak, which we'd mentioned earlier, that idea of somebody's got to step up and tell the military, no, we're not going to just give up on all these people. So there is it is operating in a in a – convention that unfortunately has become rather cliche which is ah the military is evil and so that does get a little bit old yeah
1: (laughs) how do I say this because I don't want to offend anybody obviously but like sometimes you know unfortunately militaristic operations do things yes that that are not you know super great I don't know how else to say that I mean I don't want to Well,
3: it's It's the needs of the many, you know, we've got to sacrifice some and that's, that's true. That's realistic.
1: Yeah. Because I guess what I was really reluctant about, because I realized we have lots of, you know, armed forces, like servicemen and women out there probably listening to the show and I don't want to alienate anybody because I'm grateful for their service. And And by the way, I just really, I get so overwhelmed thinking about what that would be like to actually fight in a war or something. But anyways... Um,
0: absolutely 100%
1: so with yeah I mean it's, it's funny to sit here and talk about oh that movie's so scary and then like some people are actually like seeing death out there but um, yeah. this film is will always go down in history for me as the only horror film okay you ready for this I saw this in the theater and it is the only horror film to this day that almost made me throw up like, wow. from grossness. Like, <laughs> I got nauseated, and I, I'm not going to get graphic here, but I got really close, you guys. <laughs> I'll just Was leave it at that. Was there a
3: particular scene that did yes, it? Yes,
1: yes. It's that kissing scene ah, with the, the lip and, and everything. I mean, I, for some reason, like, there's a betrayal. There's an upsettingness to that scene. Like, the, it's so stomach-turning on uh, multiple levels, really. <laughs> like, but... But it's also gross. But it, it actually nauseated me, and I almost threw up in the theater. And that's the only horror film I've ever done that with.
3: No, so. it's it's really pretty graphic and violent. And I think that the the kissing scene is so upsetting because of its intimacy, mm-hmm. and because it does remind you that this is all kind of a metaphor for sexually tr- transmitted diseases, and and the thought of the the one. You know he betrayed her, and now she has unwillingly betrayed him, and then he kills her again. <laughs> hey. uh, it's it's upsetting. That's that scene is really really upsetting. Again, well shot, effective use of music really pulls at your heartstrings. Uh, To me, and I think it's spectacularly brilliant, but it is really disturbing and gross, is the helicopter scene, (laughs) uh, which is just fantastic. We're just going to take out 100 zombies at once with a helicopter rotor, um, which is like a a, a homage to Dawn of the Dead, which is, okay, George killed one zombie. We're going to kill 100 of them. Uh, It's pretty gross with the limbs flying and the blood splatter. Uh, I didn't get nauseous, but I did think, wow, that's really gross.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What about the themes in this one? I mean, what what are we drawing from this? What comes to the surface for you guys?
3: Well, family central, you know, uh, sacrificing yourself for the common good. I think that's even bigger. Uh, This idea that initially, and going back to the military's final solution, uh, the idea is we're going to kill 15,000 to try to save the rest of the world, then ultimately becomes these two military officers, the sniper and the, and the, the doctor, who, who agree at this, this wonderful moment when they like lock eyes and they agree, we will die to protect these kids. And then they do. Yeah. So it's very much that sense of sacrifice for the common good uh, to protect to protect the whole, but also trying to keep the family together. The, the fact that the kids go and find their mom even though the dad has given up on her. That the dad, even once he's infected, continues somewhat unrealistically to seek out <laughs> his children. I yeah. mean, that kind of stuff is really pretty powerful and it makes for a, a fascinating narrative. You guys know this because I harp on it all the time. When there's a movie and there's two kids and there's a as a girl and a boy, I immediately insert myself into the film because that's my family. Yeah, and, and that's the family model that Hollywood loves to play with. Side note, I could believe Jurassic World went with two boys and not a boy and a girl, but that's just a yeah. side. Weird choice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm all over it. And, and you put yourself in the, in the shoes of the dad, even after he's infected. Uh, and it's, it's a tough film. Yeah. But it's it's great. It's scary. I'm with Josh. I th- went to this thing saying, "Okay, it'll be fun, but it's going to suck." <laughs> right. And then I came out of it going, I'm like, "Hey, that was pretty dang good. That was it's almost true. as good as the original." Yeah. And it really fits into the the package. It was almost it was very much an homage to Boyle, and I think it's effective.
1: I agree I agree 100%. I think it's a worthy sequel. I think it holds its weight. I mean, I think it's a good follow-up. Kind of like it reminds me, you know, this is just a little two-film package here thus far. It reminds me of the way like The Descent and The Descent Part 2 work work together really well. I think this works together in the same way. Um, speaking of the sequels, I mean, so there for years now <laughs> there's been there's- talk there's been talk. There's been talk about uh, 28 uh, months later, and yes. then maybe even 28 years Which later. Which would
3: be fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I hope that happens. Now, what I have... Well,
0: they, they tease it at the end of this movie, too. It's not just... Mm-hmm. Um, they give you the crossover scene
3: at yeah. the end, 28 weeks later. Well, they clearly <laughs> right. had it. It was ready to go, and now it's not. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, they... And and I'm sure everybody knows this, right? Because this is this is Wikipedia stuff, but it was also um common knowledge. Like they they said, um, who was it that said this? That said that basically they said, I'll tell you honestly what happened. There's a group of people who own the rights and they're no longer talking to each other. So it was held uh-huh. up for a long time because of that. But now, in the most recent announcement here, this is as of January twenty fifteen. Garland said, quote, we've just started talking about it seriously, referring to the next installment. We've got an idea. Danny and um, Andrew McDonald, the producer, and I have been quite serious about our conversations about it. So it is a possibility. It's complicated. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it's complicated, which are boring, so I won't go into, but there's a possibility. And he also added that it's more likely to be 28 months than 28 years. 28 yeah. years gives you one more place to go, hinting that yeah. there might be a fourth film.
0: Yeah. And there's a um, there's a Great. poster out there. I don't know if it's a fan poster, but I've seen a poster for 28 months online. It could very well just be a fan-generated poster, but it looks cool.
3: No, I mean, we, we had to wait a long time for Max to come back, and he came back. That's right. So, madder than ever. Matter than ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, even, even like... Um, it's, it was surprising to me, but like this film was a pretty hardcore horror film, pretty gross. Yeah. Um, New York Times film critic A.O. Scott, who I think is a little bit snooty sometimes, so I have to be honest, he, he wrote, the 28, 28 weeks later is brutal and almost exhaustingly terrifying <laughs> as any respectable zombie movie should be. It's also bracingly smart, both in its ideas and in its techniques.
3: Huh.
1: So, I would agree. So, yeah, this film needs to they, we we need more of this, I think
3: no, this <laughs> film is undersung mm mm-hmm. uh, I don't think enough people have given it a shot i don't th- I think it's one of the better zombie films out there um and because after the kiss, there's really not a lot of chance to take a breath, right It's pretty much flat out, and then it's like we're shooting people, we're blowing people up, we're gassing people <laughs> uh it's just like variation on on death uh. And then you get the, the group, right, which is standard zombie fare, group of survivors. But with, with rapidity, that group is parsed down smaller and smaller and smaller um, to the point where people you're reasonably sure are not going to die, die. <laughs> and I like that the film has the, the guts to go there and say, you know what, you don't know who the protagonist is. You don't know who the star is right. until almost the end of the film. Uh the one guy I thought for sure was gonna die actually survived, so uh keeps you guessing.
1: I love that too i'm I'm totally with you. Josh. what else do you have to say about this? Anything else?
0: um I agree with a o scott uh, I really enjoyed his review, uh, and um I think this movie looks great, and I think the performances are strong, and it's far better than it has any right to be um, yeah. considering yeah where it came from. So yeah. I think it's great.
1: Yeah. And it didn't have Killian Murphy, but you know, I understand that he was involved in he well, other projects at the I time. I would like
3: to say that I, I, I would like to see more franchises do this where you can continue to tell the story, but you don't necessarily need the same characters.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and I like that. Uh, I think that's, that it's a, it's a good way for Hollywood to get around complicated schedules and signing deals. But it also shows that the narrative is bigger than the individuals. Because mm-hmm. this is really a story about the island of England, the UK. Uh, and it, it works on a lot of levels because of that. Um, and that's why I'm really excited for Fear the Walking Dead to see if they can pull it off. Is the scenario big enough that it can survive without the characters?
1: Yeah, that's a good question.
3: So, we'll see. Absolutely. Um I do have to say um I just spent a week in London on a study abroad trip with some students. Mm-hmm. And I
0: took some beautiful photographs of toilets. Yes, you I did. did.
3: I did. Uh about 4 people enjoyed my my toilet video essay that I did through Twitter. <laughs> uh you can st- it's still up if you want to go look at all the toilets. Tell the listeners why you did that, Kyle, just so they know.
1: If you want to.
3: Why did I do it? Jay, do you remember why I did it?
1: Well, I was waiting to learn.
3: (laughs) Oh, I have no idea. I got a stupid idea that I thought, what if I just posted pictures of toilets every time I went to a bathroom? Um, I have no idea why I did it, but that's out there now. Uh, But the point is, 28 Weeks Later takes place pretty much exclusively in London, in London proper, Um, and it's one of the few movies that uses the geography accurately, uh, the times travel, the location of things to each other, the landmarks, and I mean, it's, it's a little thing, but for people who know London, who've been to London, it's kind of a rewarding facet of the film that does add to the realism where you're kind of like, I know where that is and I know where that corner is and I know where that is. And we always makes me
0: happy. I love when movies do that well as well. Me
3: too. Yeah. When we take students over there from SUU, we stay at Regents university. And after the, the wonderful helicopter scene, when they have to run out of Regents park and he, and uh, the sniper shoots the last two pursuing infected, they go through this ornamental gateway and that's right in front of the university but the camera placement is done so well that you don't see any of the of the stuff Uh, but it's just nice and i tweeted about this today Um, both of these films are so wonderful because they turn london into the uncanny figure uh, where it's just like, that is wrong. The city shouldn't look like that. It shouldn't be like that. And again, they didn't do it with CGI. They just filmed at five in the morning. They they shut down roads. Uh, on they, a Sunday. They, yeah, on a Sunday. And then they made it so it made London look abandoned. But it's London. It's actually London. And that's what's so great about it.
1: <laughs> that's fantastic. Another thing I love that they did for this film was the... Um, They did a lot of neat promotional stuff on it, like the biohazard warning. Um, Do you remember hearing about this? I had forgotten all about it, but I guess um, 28 days before the release of this film in the United Kingdom, they had this huge biohazard warning sign that they projected against against the White Cliffs of Dover.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And
1: I think that's kind of cool that they did that. Yeah. yeah, because they had the biological hazard symbol, and then they said um, the Britain was contaminated. Keep out. And, That's and, awesome. And then they did some viral advertising as well. The removable chalk powder graffiti, Wikipedia says here. It was sprayed in locations around London and Birmingham, featuring the web address ragevirus.com. Now, this is what's funny to me, you guys. That web address was so funny
0: that it was viral marketing.
1: That's funny too. But
3: I was I was trying to ignore that. That
1: was one for Josh. One I
3: was no, I was waiting for Jason to, <laughs> I didn't. to say that. Jason said it. He just didn't draw attention. To <laughs> it. I,
1: I, I'm tired now, so it's out of my system a little bit. But it says the web address was found to be unregistered, and it was quickly snapped up. So like that advertising agency that did this, they forgot to like purchase the domain, <laughs> so they had uh. to they had to buy it off the the person. I think that's hilarious. But um. I love stuff like that when they do things. I think it's risky though. Those two things—the the biohazard warning and and these little graffiti things. Oh yeah, that would have been really risky. I mean, we saw what happened with War of the Worlds back in the day with Horse and well, Wells.
3: So. Yeah, but everybody secretly wants to recreate that. I, mean, the, I think the best example of that in our era is the the Blair Witch Project stuff, mm-hmm. where they actually put up missing posters on college campuses and and all that that stuff. That's really cool, but could backfire when people take it literal. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Because um, while wow, something is formulating in my I remember something. There's some kind of story that we saw recently where. They were trying to perpetrate that this one character was evil. Oh, oh, oh. I know what it was. It was um, Sorority Row. <laughs> the new oh. sorority horror movie. Like, somebody was faking, and then it ended up resulting in a death. <laughs> I think that's a great premise when that happens. Anyways.
3: Okay. When it's not real. <laughs>
1: right, right. Of course. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Just to clarify for the listeners. <laughs>
1: Yeah, sorry everybody. like I said, I'm getting tired. <laughs>
3: Jay's checking out, folks.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, sorority row from 2009 that has that premise. Okay, everybody, let's. I, I think we're ready to wrap up this review too. Yeah. Uh, um, final thoughts and ratings, Kyle Bishop.
3: Uh, I agree absolutely with Josh that this film is better than it has any rights to be. I think if, if listeners have been on the fence about it, going, ah, it's a sequel, ah, it wasn't Boyle directing, uh, they need to get over that and give this film a chance. Um, it's visceral, it's gory, it's frightening, uh, it plays on all the family strings that work so well with me. It's got heart. Um, plus, as we mentioned, you get to see like five or six A-list actors at the beginnings of their career, mm-hmm. uh, and you will be surprised by the people you see in this film, because I'd forgotten half the cast, apparently. Um, it's a good movie. It's a good variation on the zombie movie. It is a little bit more Nigh the Living Dead than it is The Crazies, but it's still all in that genre um it's a good film i think Uh, i'm actually going to give it an eight i was going to give it a seven but after our conversation i'm bumping it up i'm going to give it an eight it's not perfect has some flaws has some stereotypes has some cliches but it also has stuff you won't see in any other film um and you'll come away satisfyingly frightened so horror fans zombie fans it's an own uh regular movie lovers if you own the first one you've you know, complete the set.
1: <laughs> that's right. Do the right thing, everybody. You know what? I'm with you, Kyle. This is an eight out of 10 for me. This is a buy it. I, um, actually love this film. It's a great sequel. That's really rare. We know. And it's, it's uh-huh. also especially rare in the horror genre. Unfortunately, <laughs> But this has some scenes like that opening scene. It's worth buying alone.
3: Just for the opening scene. I absolutely agree.
1: Yeah. And it's a must see just for the opening scene. Um, The only horror film ever made me nauseated. And um, the helicopter scene is pretty legendary as well. So you got to see this movie. This is a buy. What do you say, Wolfman Josh?
0: I would agree with you guys that if you're a zombie fan, this is worth owning just for that opening scene. It's one of the coolest scenes ever. Um, I think this movie is not as – it's clearly not as important. It's not as groundbreaking. It's more standard, and you know, it comes five, six years after, 28 days later. But um, it's just a super entertaining and well-made movie. And so it, it, it kind of evens out for me, and I, I would place this film at probably an eight, um, whereas yeah. I read the first one eight point five. So um, yeah, I think this is a I, I, uh, I guess to buy it. Um, <laughs> I, I slightly hesitate saying that, but um, reluctant I think, purchase. Yeah, I, I, I would guess I would say what I said for uh, twenty eight days later. If you're a zombie fan, which I am, you have to own it, like I do. I don't know that every horror movie fan has to own it, but um, it's worth checking out that opening scene for sure. And I'm definitely worth
3: watching the movie. I think it's underrated.
1: Yeah. Totally. Wow. Have
3: the three of us ever had the exact same rating for a film?
1: (laughs) I don't think so.
3: Landmark.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty remarkable actually. Okay. Well, I
3: guess that means we're right.
1: Yeah. I I think that is what it means. This
3: is definitively an eight out of 10 (laughs) and buy it. If, if you have to buy it reluctantly
1: yes but i'm I'm saying (laughs) i'm saying buy it with with absolute vigor and like like enthusiasm order
3: today with a bullet with a bullet
1: (laughs) all right well uh, i think that just about wraps up episode 58 of horror movie podcast we're grateful that you listened to our show we're thankful you were here with us and i want to turn over my friends first of all you guys it's eleven fifteen for us in utah it's twelve fifteen for josh um are I'm we sure. gonna are we gonna talk much about jurassic park tonight or are we gonna save it for another i time? think
3: we save it
1: i agree but let's do this though if you don't mind for plugs i just want to say to everybody right now in theaters is jurassic world go see it for me it's a nine out of ten i say see it in the theater i say buy it I loved it, everybody. I loved it. I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't call it like a, a full-blown horror film or anything like that. But there are scenes that are a little bit scary. We're going to talk about it more in depth in the future. But if you're wondering why I'm bringing it up on Horror Movie Podcast, it's because it's in theaters and you need to go see it. It's a nine. Um. So otherwise, check out Movie Podcast Weekly. That's my plugs. What are your plugs, Kyle Bishop?
3: Uh, not, I'm, I'm writing stuff, (laughs) but, uh, I think people should follow me on Twitter and I think people should interact with me, uh, through social media if they so choose. Uh, I like getting into conversations, hearing other people's perspectives. Uh, if we have any people in high school listening who are thinking about where to go to college, I'd like to plug Southern Utah University. (laughs) It's a place where you can come and, and occasionally talk to me in person. Yes. Uh, otherwise, uh, keep <laughs> like your that. eyes.
0: <laughs> That's got to be a podcast first. Where where you should go to college?
3: <laughs> I figured. I figured I should plug my employment. Uh, but yeah, keep your eyes open. Hopefully, I'll have a book out by Halloween. I'm. We're wrapping it up. So coming soon.
1: So are you thumbs up or thumbs down on Jurassic World?
3: I'm thumbs up. Okay, good. That's But good. it's it, it's more complicated than that. But I'm thumbs up. <laughs>
1: of course, it is. Okay. All right. What do you say? Wolfman
3: about Jurassic world
1: (laughs) and plugs? Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, listeners to movie podcast weekly, which you should listen to our excellent, uh, Jurassic park coverage where we covered all four films. We'll know that I had two thumbs up as with Kyle. It's complicated, but I think I'm pretty sure they were still way up. So, um, Check out Movie Streamcast. I've got a bunch of documentary reviews coming out soon. Movie Podcast Weekly where I'm on the most recent episode and the Sci-Fi Podcast where they are doing a show with Carl uh, from Movie Podcast Weekly. And then I'm, I'm on the Fury Road and Avengers episodes that are coming out sometime. I'm not exactly sure when.
1: I have just one more little post-production note here. It's kind of a plug. I want to make sure you hear this because this is really exciting. Pretty big news, actually. There's a podcast called The Film Vault Podcast, which is found at thefilmvaultpod.com. I'll have it linked in the show notes. And The Film Vault Podcast, recently named Josh Legary, our own Wolfman Josh, as one of the top five up and coming filmmakers. I believe the name of the episode is Top Five Up and Coming Directors. That was in their June 12th, 2015 episode. So I wanted to give a shout out and thank Eric Yvonne, who's a horror movie podcast listener. He's dead serious about horror movies, everybody. Thanks, Eric, for bringing that to our attention. And I also want to say congratulations to the Wolfman, Josh Laguerre. So I want to make sure everybody checks that out. If you get a chance, it's the Film Vault Podcast. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Please give it a listen. Okay, what else here? We'd love to, for you to get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. We love your comments. Leave a message on the comment boards there for episode 58. And you can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com I know we haven't done a lot of listener feedback lately but um, that's coming up very soon. We just, we've just we had to strike while the iron was hot and while Kyle was available. We've been putting him to work on this show. So, um, But we'll be dipping into all this excellent feedback we're getting. We're getting amazing stuff. Dino sent something that blew my mind. So props to Dino. Everybody get excited about that. He's talking about a horror convention. It was just... Absolutely incredible. So, Dino, that's coming up. Thank you for that. Brilliant, purely brilliant. People want to leave a voicemail, you can call 801-382-8789. And you can find all of our episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe to this show free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music or Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And also, I want to thank Trump Wittup for doing our new Horror Movie Podcast artwork. So if you like the banner and the new logo, that's our buddy Trump, who is a designer for hire. <laughs> Anyways... I want to make sure people also check out our buddy Dr. Shock at DVDinfatuation.com. That's his blog. He's also on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. And he also is a co-host on Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast. And we'll have all this stuff I just talked about linked in the show notes. But I think that's it for episode 58. So we thank you for listening and join us again next Friday for Horror Movie podcast. Where we're dead serious about horror movies.
4: Yes, ma'am. We, we got a shark attack over here at ocean, ocean Crest Monterey. I need somebody looks like well, a little 10-year-old girl got hit by a shark, half her arms off. Okay. She's losing a lot of blood. Okay, somebody needs to go ahead and wrap a
2: clean dry cloth around that. If she bleeds to it, go ahead and apply right. another one on top of it. <laughs> Cancer status is Karen. Karen, this is Jonathan. The 911 Center, Brunswick. Can you advise yeah. the status on the airlinks? Yeah, we're
1: getting ready to launch them right now.
0: Okay, the left arm is completely missing and also a bite to the left, left leg, 13-year-old, weak part. Oh, good.